Hey guys, Dustin Wynn, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Paul Dini, listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Perfect. Yep, we're good. We're rolling. Um, cool. That's some jackass setting off fucking fireworks across the street. Here. Hopefully he wraps up. Yeah. It sounds like gunshots. <laughs> Canadian gunshots. They have a little sizzle at the end. It sounds like, sorry. 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 <laughs> oh crap! Hello. Uh, I already oh did. hey. Hey Brian, how you doing? We were Good. just talking about you. How's the uh, How's the connection? Sounds great. Good. Good. Sounds good so far. How do we, we sound? Well, so uh, no, no, no. I was just gonna say you guys sound great. So uh, I'm on my cell phone right now. So that works. Just making yeah. sure that. that. Oh my, that's good. how I do it. Cool. All right, welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the DC Batman podcast with no limits, and we are back with another absolutely fantastic guest tonight. Um, so we are uh, going to let you know exactly in a second who that is. I'm Bat Force Tom from sunny Southern California. Uh, we got Robin D. Cross from Canada. Uh, boot. Who we got tonight, Robin? All right, well, we've had a lot of guests on the show over the last few years, but uh, I don't know that we've ever had anyone who wears as many hats as, as tonight's special guest. Uh He's been known as an author, a screenwriter, a graphic designer, a musician, and lots of other really crazy fun things, too. Uh, tonight, he's joining us to talk about his upcoming run on Detective Comics, and he has also got some involvement in that upcoming uh, uh, Titans live-action series that's going to be on the DC streaming service, so we'll see if he's allowed to talk anything about that, but... Uh, a big warm welcome to tonight's special guest, Brian Edward Hill. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, first thing I want to do is I want to just shout out to my Twitter family, all of my awesome followers on Twitter. They are the best. Uh, and if you're listening to me right now, I just want to say I appreciate all of the kind notes and comments. They mean so much to me. And it really helps me frame my work and make sure I can deliver the best stories to you guys as possible. Awesome. Um, we always let our guests know if, if you ever let something slip by accident or, you know, you let a spoiler out or something or you mention a project that you don't have a green light to mention, uh, just let us know and we'll edit out whatever you want. Well, I appreciate that. The The Hill administration is generally pretty good about uh, holding on to leaks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, occasionally, Occasionally, some things slip through. Yeah. So, uh, if I make a mistake, if I get too comfortable and make a mistake, I'm sure I'll circle back and say, "Hey, can you, uh, uh, you know, black line those sure. couple things there? Just some redactions." Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, we usually have to redact about an hour and a half of stuff every time Snyder's on. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Scott is is really awesome and just like such a genuine guy, and yeah. uh, he just loves sharing stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll take care of any anything that you you know any leaks or anything. There are no leaks, so we will we will take care of the problem from within. However, There's no leaks. There are there are some leaks that there are leakers, but whatever they're saying is false. So we'll I'm make- the greatest comic book writer that has ever been. <laughs> many, many people have said that I am the greatest that they've ever read, and I really appreciate the fact that they can recognize how great I am. <laughs> that's our that's our intro I, tagline. I'm looking forward to some point in the episode there being a nice conversation between Brian Trump and Dan DiDio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you had? Have we you had, we have uh, a tradition of Dan DiDio impressions. Yeah, Dan, Dan DiDio makes a makes an appearance every now and again. I'm a very good friends with Dan. I've known Dan uh, a very long time. Oh. I like him very much. He's a, a very, very great man. He also recognizes my greatness. So I think that means that he's a man of good judgment and good character. It's, a, it's, why, we, it's why we brought you on board, Brian. You're just a good guy, you know. You know <laughs> I, you to I had to make sure you had to come on some good stories for DC, you know. We don't want you to get swept up with the competition, you know. So you that talk, is, that's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Every time it's done on our show, it is done with love. We do love yeah, Dan too, love but uh, Dan. yeah, he, he's yes. a, he's a fun guy to bring into the mix. Most One of my favorite pastimes is whenever I'm having a customer service issue, I just like to do random impressions of people, and and see how you know how that affects your service without actually telling them I'm doing an impression, um, <laughs> and just like you know, just see the the experience of the operator on the other end. Um, like today, I had an Amazon issue, so I called up and I was like, well. Uh, I ordered a package, and the package did not arrive. <laughs> so I was looking in the mailroom for the package, and I didn't find it. And I just want to know when do I get my stuff? <laughs> oh my god, dude! It's like, oh holy shit, Mr. President, Mr. President, I'm so sorry. Um, um, it's fucking well, we Barack. Have, we have a president right now in the White House. We uh, need to respect the office of the presidency, but at the same time, I really need to get my driving gloves. <laughs> It's like, oh, I, I'm so sorry, Mr. President, right away. Jay, Jay, where the fuck's Obama's gloves, bro? He's on the it's phone. It's really funny, because when you do that, people have like a Pavlovian reaction to it, because you're never saying you're Barack Obama, but like, they just instantly are like, oh, um, oh shit. Yeah, there's a chance. There's a chance. And it's like, oh, sh- this could actually be, like, I didn't know they allowed him to call out. I didn't I'm know gonna... he orders Amazon Prime. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he doesn't have. I'm going to end up in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah it's a it's a it's it's really funny. Days outside of the uh, office must be going slow. <laughs> yeah. Obama's just shopping online every day now. <laughs> well, I uh, got a lot of free time in my hands, <laughs> and I've uh, been catching up on my reading and getting some things from Amazon, uh, which are very important to me. I'm a big fan of the new God of War. <laughs> oh. oh, that's strong. Uh, Robin, uh, that's what he ordered. He ordered the uh, the strategy guide. Yeah. Well, I'm having a little bit of trouble dealing <laughs> with the uh, banshees. They're very difficult to hit with the axe. Man, that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, you're you're super uh, active on the old Twitterverse over there. I noticed, which is very cool to have uh, for a creator to be able to engage on such a you know real time platform. Well, you know, it took me a little while to kind of figure out my way around social media. I'm actually a pretty private person by nature. And it wasn't natural for me to 
you know, consistently like talk about myself online and, and all of that, you know, I had all the accounts, the Instagrams and the, the Twitters and, 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 you know, what have you. Mm. But yeah, it, just, I, it took me a bit to kind of get into the rhythm of it. But, you know, when I started to interact more with readers and fans and just people who are interested in writing and storytelling, well, that stuff is easy for me because I love having those conversations. If you notice, my Twitter feed isn't a bunch of selfies. You know, I don't spend time kind of pontificating on random things. I really try to make it an interesting feed of value for everyone. You know, whether they want to ask me a question about a book I'm working on or ask me a question about you know, how do they get started in a creative career whatever it is, I try to make it as uh, much of a resource as I, as I can and and keep it positive, too. You know, there's a lot yeah. of venom and vitriol online these days, and I try to avoid all of that and just kind of keep things um, nice and, and positive and create an enriching experience for people when they reach out to a creator. Because nothing's, nothing's more of a bummer than being interested in someone when you read their work and then going to their social media and just seeing just syrupy venom yeah. all over everything. It really ruins the buzz. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's... yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed about your Twitter is you're very positive, you're very accessible to uh, to everyone. Yeah, and really a uh, a counterpoint to a lot. Of, like there are a couple creators in particular out there who have sort of created messes for themselves because of the way they conduct themselves on there. But uh, yeah, you, you're you're very positive, and uh, I think it really uh, leads people to want to contact you and uh, and also be creates an interest in your work and inspires well, too yeah well you know I, I try to think about before i was you know a professional you know creative and i wanted to be i had no idea how i was going to do it and i was just a fan i was just a fan in st louis missouri you know reading comic books at the library because those were free and i could afford those and occasionally buying you know single issues from my local comic book shop star clipper in st louis if you're in st louis visit star clipper give them some and I try to think about what I would want from those interactions back then, right? Like, uh -huh. what would have helped me when I uh, was just trying to figure out a path for myself? And so I, I, I tend to operate my social media from that space. Well, at least my Twitter, my Instagram. I'm also, like, a photographer, so my Instagram is basically just my photography. But on Twitter, I try to, try to do that. And I also think about that in terms of storytelling. You know, I still think about the experience of the reader when they're reading the book. You know, that's equally, if not more important to me than whatever I'm trying to say at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm much much more of a populist creator, you know, in the sense that I want people to get value out of the books that I write. So when you, you hear, oh, Brian wrote this, then you have some confidence that the experience you're going to get is worth the cover price. Awesome. I, uh, I, I invest my into the work and I try to make things personal and unique to myself. But at the same time, I'm always thinking about, well, would I be happy with this book if I bought it? Would I feel like this was a value purchase? And if not, I go back in there and see what I can do to make it more of one. Yeah, that's that's a great kind of mentality to have. And I think like, especially recently, some of our favorite writers and some of the most enjoyable stuff that we've been reading have been from people who have that in mind where it's like, if I was, a f I'm, I'm a fan or if, if I was in a shop or if I was, you know, taking in this, whatever medium it is, would I like this? You know, would I en right. enjoy it? Would it, would it entertain me? Would it inspire me? Would I find something of value in it? And, um, when someone's able to kind of reflect in that way and, you know, put passion into something they're doing, it always turns into something really, really good. Um, so it's great and fantastic to hear that you're, you're of that kind of mentality. Um, and you know, I know we, we kind of mentioned comics, but, we were kind of just looking at your resume, and, and, and man, comics seems kind of like um, 
it's, it sounds like maybe it's the more fun thing you get to do as far as, uh, I'm not saying the other things you do aren't fun, but with everything else you've done, like comics is like small potatoes, man. Like, um, well, some of your other work sounds crazy. It's, it's a, just a bit of a different platform. You know, yeah. I always loved comic books, uh, growing up, you know, that was really what gave me my love of storytelling. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I, when I was growing up, comics were making that shift into the more mature themes tied into the the golden age characters so you know i I was coming of age when grant morrison you know and dave mckean did arkham asylum oh man i remember reading the dark knight returns when i was a kid and i didn't know that you could do this in a comic book you know i I was like whoa uh, the the cult you know um uh i think starlin did that that you know the the work was really expanding the possibility of the form. So I really wanted to find a way to do, you know, work like that eventually. It's just that comics, it's a strange business to get into. You know, I went to film school. I grew up in St. Louis and I went to NYU. And then after I graduated from film school, I just stuck around New York and did a, you know, just did the odd jobs, whatever you do when you have a degree that's expensive and useless in equal amounts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, I met a bunch of comic book artists when I was in New York. There used to be a Starbucks in Manhattan uh, across the street from the Barnes & Noble on Astor Place. Mm. And in the Starbucks, they had these big round tables. And you, I don't even know if the Starbucks is still there anymore. Manhattan's changed so much in this time. There's actually five, back, of, five of them there now. Right, like, like right next <laughs> to each other. Yeah, right? yeah. Kind of like linked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they used to have these big round tables, and you'd go there, and comic book artists, both professional and becoming professional, would just be sitting there with light boxes working on their uh, their their Bristol boards, you know. And this was before everybody was doing everything digitally with Wacom tablets and all of that. I mean, people were still using pencils, and they were still using like little light boxes and mm. doing their work. Okay, okay, Grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I had to draw in blood. Yeah, so. Um, you had an ink and a quill, and you dip it. You shared it. You shared the quill because you knew its value. Uh, <laughs> you did it. You kindle it, punk. So, so I would, you know, I just, just chatted them up. I would just start up a conversation, and you know, at that table, Nelson Blake was there. Uh, uh, Afua Richardson was there. Wow. Uh, Christian Dabari was there. Damian Scott would come by with his Batgirl pages that he was doing with. Uh, I think Kelly Puckett was doing the writing on that. Um, and, and so many other people would just be there. And so I became friends with all of them. And then through them, I met a fellow named Walter McDaniel, who used to be a comic book artist in the nineties and kind of like the height of the Liefeld era. He had a little studio, uh, of comic book artists that he was employing to do box art for toys. So they were doing the box art for GI Joe and Hot Wheels and, and all of that stuff. And Walter had some ideas he wanted to turn into screenplays uh, or, you know, just intellectual properties. He didn't really know what he specifically wanted to do with them, but he had these books of sketches and a lot of thought going into character. And he hadn't met many writers. So he spoke to me and then realized that I was, at that time, I hadn't done anything in the film and TV, but I, you know, I had graduated from film school and I had written some screenplays. Uh, and I was still at the beginning stages of that career, but you know, he recognized that I studied narrative structure and how you could execute something in a script. So I started working with him uh, on his work, and then I wound up living in an apartment that he owned uh, with a, a few other fellas from that group for a little while. And that's 
where I met Joe Illich and Chris Cross and and those guys. And from there, it was just really just persistence as I was doing other stuff, you know, just trying to keep getting people to read my work and pay attention to me as a comic book writer. Mm-hmm. And it just takes time to really do that. You know, I had managed to sell a few screenplays. I had a Dolph Lundgren movie that I wrote that got produced. Nice. I had done, I had done some things and those things helped, I think getting people to pay attention. But even then it took a long time. So, uh, I'm, I'm deeply invested into the comic book career. It just wasn't paying any bills for about 15 years. So mm. I had to, you know, invest in other things at the same time. But in a lot of ways, comics is my first love. Yeah. It's it's kind of what gave you your now, love at, of safe at, storytelling. At what point, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you you said that uh, you started off with going to film school, but you've branched off into so many things. Like, where did everything begin? What was the beginning of this road? Like, what uh, at what point in your life did you decide that you wanted to be a creator of things? Well, you know, I went to a really odd little high school in St. Louis. I was a scholarship kid. Uh, growing up, and I went to this school called John Burroughs, and um, it's uh, a pretty small school, 500 kids, 7th through 12th grade, so you knew everyone's name and, and the whole deal, and most of the time, that school produces doctors, lawyers, you know, accountants, I, Bitcoin, you know, tycoons, I would imagine, things like that, but when I was there, it had a lot of people, uh, students that were like really involved in the arts. And so I was in the same class with a guy named Bo Willeman, who went on to write uh, Farragut North, the Broadway play that became Ides of March, the Gosling Clooney movie. And then from there, he created House of Cards based on the British oh, wow. series. Yeah. And so Bo was a good friend of mine in high school. I mean, the school was so small, like everyone was really your friend. I mean, I remember being in English class with Bo and he was brilliant back then. You know, I was trying to keep up with him and failed most of the time. Played football with him. John Hamm from Mad Men, what, Mad Men was my acting teacher for Whoa. about a year. Wow. Yeah, he was a graduate of the school, and so he had graduated from the school. He had done a little bit of acting. Uh, he was out west for a bit, and then he just kind of came back to St. Louis to regroup. And in that time, he taught. He was the assistant theater teacher. So I was in uh, school plays uh, growing up, and. Uh, he was my acting teacher for a little bit. And I still see him from time to time. We'll have a drink maybe like once a year or something and just kind of, you know, shoot the shit. There's no business just kind of talking about, you know, St. Louis and awesome. the whole thing of it. Uh, Ellie Kemper. Um, <gasps> from, oh, bu- from The Office. Yeah, from, a, yeah, from The Office. And oh, my that, God. Well, what's, what's her Netflix show? It's, it's like the unsinkable yeah. something. Kelly. Kimmy yeah, Schmidt. Yeah. Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Ellie was in the class below me when I was growing up and I, uh, I didn't know her really well, but like, you know, I knew her enough coming and going, but her older brother, John, I used to play sports with, he was on a couple, uh, I played soccer in high school. I think he was on the team for a little bit. Jenna, so Jenna Fisher was also from St. Louis. Is yeah. It's, it's, a, that's so it's, crazy. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird thing, you know? And, least, um, yeah. so I, I always liked the arts and wanted to figure out what I wanted to do but I also kind of wanted to be an FBI agent and catch serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, I, I read Red Dragon when I oh. was a sophomore, uh, and I just thought it was like the best book I'd ever read. Right? Yeah. I was really fascinated with Will Graham and the whole thing. I was like, oh, I, you know, and I kind of have a knack for human psychology. I've always been interested in people and how they operate and what motivates them. So I kind of thought about maybe doing that as a career and, and 
and being like a you know like a uh, a black male version of Clary Starling or something and trying to figure out you know how that was going to go. Uh, but my mother, she, you know, she put the kibosh on that. She's like, listen, I don't care what you do, but you're not doing anything that involves serial killers or having a weapon. Sure. <laughs> like, pick something else. I don't care what you pick. Pick something else. So I'm like, well, I like movies a lot. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in film. I guess maybe I'll try to go to film school. So then, I'm, you know, I wound up going to film school uh, to direct movies. But I was too broke in college to actually afford to direct anything. This is back when everything shot film. Film was about $1,000 a minute uh, in terms of its cost. And I just did not have the resources on top of tuition to make short films. But writing was, was free. You know, you could write with a legal pad and a big pen. And that's what I did, really. Uh, so I thought to myself, well, if I can become a decent writer... I don't have to worry about where I would get a script from. I could generate my own script. And a lot of the writers that, a lot of filmmakers that I really admired were writers at one point or another. Like Spielberg had done a lot of writing before he started making movies. Lucas, obviously, you know, with Star Wars. Jim Cameron. Um, you know, so the, the people that I really admired, a lot of them had done a lot of writing. And it seemed like a thing that you'd want to be able to do. And that led me to you know, writing some scripts while I was in school and just trying to get my, my head wrapped around the craft. Uh, and that's sort of what happened for me first. And so I uh, uh, kind of kept going on in that tack. But, you know, I still do, you know, other things that are interesting to me. I'm, I'm probably going to wind up directing a music video for someone I can't really reveal this right now, but that's probably going to happen this year. Takashi? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Not no. Um <laughs> <laughs> Although that would that'd be interesting. That would be crazy. Uh, that'd be interesting. Maybe I'll line it up, make some phone calls, see what I can do. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I, I've wanted to do so many things. Like, it's, I, I tell people, for me, it's never really been about what I wanted to be as much as what I wanted to do in the moment. Ah. You know, I never really had this concrete identity based on a thing. I just follow things of interest. So, you know, I'm, I, 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 wouldn't mind doing a fashion photography editorial at some point. I think that would be kind of cool to do and all these different things. So, so yeah, I just, I like creating things and exploring things artistically and, and sort of seeing what I learned from the process. And, uh, I just try to avoid confining myself to one thing or another. I just dedicate myself to whatever task I'm set out to accomplish. That kind of ends up with you having your kind of, uh, foot in many ponds, you know, the way you kind of have come to be now. Is there any um, one medium that you think that you love head and shoulders above the others, or do you find enjoyment in all of them? Well, I they, they all require different aspects of your spirit, I guess. Mm. You know, like, so it's hard to say, you know, this one or that one or this one, you know. Like, for instance, working in a, in a TV writer's room, anyone listening to this, who doesn't really know how that goes. So TV shows, although you see single credits on the episodes, the shows are created uh, generally by a room of writers who get into a room, they're led by a showrunner, and they do what's called breaking story. And breaking story is when you help with the plotting of the season and the episodes, and you're really there to support the showrunner's vision. You know, it's not really about what you want, it's about what they want and how well you can contribute to what they want to accomplish. And it's a... uh, intensely collaborative process you know you're you're always doing it with other people you write things you're rewritten you know you get notes you do your rewrite sometimes you know they rewrite your own stuff but none of it really has ego on the poker table it's all just about 
getting it to a place where the people that you're working with or, you know, the people that you're working under uh, are like, yeah, I feel good about this. This is the show that I want to do, you know? And so in the case of Titan, we've got Jeff Johns in the room, got Akiva Goldsman in the room. We've got uh, Greg Walker, uh, who's the showrunner at the, at the head of that show running table. And they're all really impressive storytellers with different styles. And you kind of get into that. So that is a completely different experience than let's say writing a comic book when you know you get notes from the editor mm. but they're really just kind of guide posts for you but it's really about what you want to invest into the story so like when i'm working on detective comics with uh you know david and chris over uh at dc um i think david Wyclose, i hope i didn't pronounce his last name wrong and chris conroy those are the editors i'm working with there you know they've given me a lot of reign to explore things the way i want to explore it it's much more of a solitary uh, existence mm. you know if you're on a set when, like, for instance, when when your television show gets shot, sometimes they send you to the location to kind of oversee the production, and really just make sure that what's on the page is being captured on screen. And uh, I was there in in Toronto for my. I worked on two different episodes uh, specifically I, in terms of scripting. Uh, I scripted uh, two different episodes of Titans this season, so I was up in Toronto for about six weeks, and that was pure production. I was going on location scouts, and tech scouts, and you know, sitting with actor read-throughs and being on set and, you know, working with two different directors because two different episodes and much more sort of a physical creation of something, which is a, a, a bit of a different thing, you know, and screenwriting and, you know, photography, music, what have you. So it's all, it's all sort of different. But the benefit of doing a variety of things is you find the commonality between all of them and you develop a general working strategy for creation that you can apply across the board. Uh, and that's what's helped me just continue to be prolific because I don't really burn out because as soon as I start to feel like I'm grinding on a thing, I can just stop that and I can just work on something else for a little while, mm. you know, and then do that and then keep it going. So uh, I, I kind of enjoy the syncretic nature of working on a lot of things where I'm trying to figure out, you know, myself and, and my work. Awesome. So how how did you initially find out about, uh, um, or how did you get into uh, getting the gig for Detective Comics over at DC? Oh, it's pretty funny. So um, so backing it up a little bit, uh, I initially worked for DC when Marie Javins reached out to me about working on the Wildstorm spinoff Michael Cray mm. uh, that she was editing. Because Warren had read something of mine and liked it. I think he had seen me, you know, on, on Twitter or something. And I'm glad that I didn't know Warren Ellis was watching me because I would have been incredibly nervous. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, we're, we're expanding the Wildstorm universe. Would you be interested in doing something with Michael Cray? And I'm like, oh, you mean Deathblow? And I was like, no, 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 not Deathblow, Michael Cray. We want to have this whole different approach. And they, they sent me the notes that they had from Warren. And it was really impressive stuff he had done. I got to read some scripts of the Wildstorm and, saw what he was doing there. I mean, no, I don't think, uh, th there are, there are a handful of people, I would say Tom King, Warren, uh, Jeff Johns, uh, Alan Moore, who really know what to do with a nine panel grid. Mm. You know, like I, I, and I wasn't thinking in grids cause I was working on top cow books like postal and, and, and all that. And, and I, I don't do many grids, and so it was all very gridded out. I was like, well, this is really interesting. It's a really interesting break my story. So I started working on that. 
And then when I was working on that with with Marie uh, overseeing, who's great, Marie Javins is awesome. She's fantastic. Great, great writer, too. She wrote a great book about her uh, trip over to uh, Africa uh, that's out there if you're interested in, you know, a tourist's uh, kind of vision of a foreign country. I recommend Marie's book. I forgot what it's called. Just look at Marie Javins on Amazon. It'll show And when I was there, I think they, you know, they started just kind of talking to me about this, about that, what do you want to do? Uh, and I got a little more familiar with the whole DC DC crew and then Titans I got uh, asked to be a part of that show during you know the first I think six issues of Michael Cray uh, and there I was working with Jeff and you know obviously you and Titans are dealing with Dick Grayson so a lot of my thoughts and feelings about Batman were shared in the room and about his relationship to Robin and you know, all that stuff and you know and, and you know so I was kind of in the mindset and just randomly when I was in Toronto, I got a email from, from Chris Conroy that was like, Hey Brian, you know, uh, we, we really like your work over here. Um, we just want to know if you were interested in doing a five issue arc of detective comics. Um, and then kind of seeing where things go from there. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know you guys had a detective comics. That didn't have Batman in it. <laughs> and, and they're like, no, we want you to do detective comics, detective comics. I mean, Oh, you want me to write Batman? Yeah. <laughs> like, Damn. Are, are you sure this email is supposed to go to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like because Batman is like the Hamlet of comics. You know, yeah. Batman is not a character that, frankly, you get to write this early in your comic book career, right? Like Batman is a character, especially on either Batman or Detective or one of those main titles. Yeah. You know, like flagship. You, so, yeah, you just don't expect to get you know, one of the world's finest this early into your thing. But um, I I imagine when they just, you know, people would speak to me about Batman in DC and I would talk to people and I guess they figured out, well, this guy really has a, a, a perspective, you know, on both Batman and Bruce Wayne and the whole thing. So yeah, I was in Toronto, I was freezing. It was like negative 4,000 degrees. <laughs> but I, uh, I was like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd love to do that. And I spoke to Scott Snyder, um, uh, on the phone and, and he shared some ideas uh, about like kind of what he was doing, you know, with, with his new work there and how that would affect the greater universe. But he, you know, he's always said, but I want you to do what you want. You know, I want you to tell the story you want to tell. I want mm -hmm. you to have the freedom to do that. That here are some things I'm playing with. If you think they're useful, use them. If you, if they're not really useful to your story, you don't have to. And he was just so supportive, uh, you know, uh, of me on the call and, yeah, it just felt like a, a really interesting, you know, opportunity and kind of a humbling one. Uh, yeah. And that's how I, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, I, I'd love to be part of that. It's amazing. Is is uh, would you say that you have had an idea for a Batman story kicking around in your brain for a while, um, or was this something that you like once you knew that it was going to be your gig that you kind of sat down and figured it out then? Well, I, you know, I've always had a a sense of who I believe the character is, right? Like, yeah. I, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a kid from the, from the A's. So, I remember June 23rd, 1989, I saw Tim Burton's Batman. Oh. Right? And it's the only movie that I bought a ticket for right after I saw it. Like, literally, out of the theater, up to the box office, bought another ticket, <laughs> got, like, a sandwich across the street, came back and saw it again. Saw the matinee and saw the evening show. Because I was just blown away by it. All of it, you know. Yeah. It was. I was reading comics and Batman comics before then, but it was the first time, like on screen, I saw something that really mirrored the experience I would have when I would read the books. Yeah, you know, it had the grandeur. I thought Keaton did a fantastic job, and it, 
just kind of created that world, like the production design of Anton first and Burton's direction mm-hmm. and the Elfman music, the whole thing just kind of came together and like set off fireworks in my head. So I've always been that dark night kind of guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, I told Chris, I was like, well, the best thing that I can offer Batman is kind of a classic archetypal Batman experience because that's where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Chris was like, well, you know, how do you feel about putting black lightning, you know, in the book as well? Because you kind of want to get some interaction between the characters. And I'm like, Oh, this is really interesting. So I had some ideas about how that would go. Mm-hmm. And he responded to those, you know, those ideas. So, you know, I, uh, I, you, you have to look at what's happening with a character at the time you're, you're doing the writing, you know, mm-hmm. so you look at like tiny work, you look at King's work, you look at Scott's work, you know, you look at, uh, what Jeff is doing in doomsday clock and you sort of look at all this and you say okay how does my imagination help complement this stuff yeah and you know james had done a a really great job of platforming and highlighting the aspects of the bat family you know in in his work especially with uh with tim drake you know and kind of really fleshing that character out and giving that character like real purpose and uh tom you know is doing amazing work kind of delving into the kind of the emotional aspects of Bruce and, and his needs and where he's going and what he wants for himself, you know, at the moment. I'm, I'm a huge admirer of Tom's work. I think Sheriff of uh, uh, Babylon is, you know, just one of the best books I've read in, in a very long time. It's uh, highly inspirational for me. So, you know, you look at that, you think about Scott's work and how he was able to expand the breadth of the, the Bat universe with the Court of Owls stuff and you know, his work with the Joker and all that. I said, well, you know, this stuff is firing on all cylinders, so they don't need someone to echo that stuff as much. What I could do is give people a, like a kind of a classic detective comic story, you know, a story about a villain, the problem, Batman having to dig deep to solve that problem, and also explore what it means to be Batman with an extended group of people that bear his symbol that he's responsible for. And how does that jive with, you know, a young Bruce Wayne sitting in his study as a bat flies through his window and he realizes that he needs to be something scary, something superstitious. And how, how can Batman still be the Batman with so many characters bearing the symbol that kind of make him... Uh, less than, you know, um, uh, like a nightmare, you know, different than that. Like they're humanizing him in a way. And how does he bear with that humanization? And does that make it more difficult to be what he needs to be for Gotham? Wow. So those were the ideas that I wanted to kind of play with, you know, and to uh, uh, have Bruce kind of thinking about, you know, what that means. You know, a person that grew up without a biological, logical father who really had a father in Alfred, even if he doesn't recognize it all the time, who finds himself being kind of a father figure to a bunch of young people <coughs> who are impressionable and some, sometimes dangerous, like, you know, in the case of like Cassandra Cain, mm-hmm. um, who've been traumatized like Duke Thomas. Yeah. Um, and how does that work? And, you know, I relate to that because my father died when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So uh, I never really had a dad growing up that I could point to and say, well, that's what being a father's like. I was doing what my dad did. You know, I'm kind of always creating this idea of what they I mean, I don't have any children of my own right now, but I used to be a teacher. And 
when I was teaching, because, you know, you do different things when you're out of film school. And again, you have a degree that's expensive and useless and equal amount. So you could <laughs> substitute teach, right? I could do that. I, do, I, I read a lot of books. I could teach, you know, Shakespeare to kids that didn't want to listen to me um, and just trying to keep them from getting each other pregnant in the back of the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Which freaking happens now somehow. Uh, you know, like I had, I had to break a couple things up. You know, I had to get in there and, and you know, hey, 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 hey. You know, I love it. Uh, but when you're, when you're responsible for young people, it really forces you to consider your ethics, you know, your behavior, your social strategies, like what are you going to do, especially when you're kind of making it up on the fly, <laughs> you know, like when, when your ideas of masculinity were you know, really formed by, you know, Henry Jones, James Bond, Luke Skywalker and Bruce Wayne, like how do I, uh, you know, share what I develop for myself with other people? And I kind of wanted Bruce to go through that a little bit with a dangerous villain that really wanted to drive a wedge right into that uh, that potential doubt and vulnerability that he might have. And nice. then when you add the idea of Jefferson Pierce to the equation, well, Jefferson is an educator. So when they said, well, we would like, you know, Black Lightning and Batman, I was like, well, I'm also interested in and, you know, Jefferson Pierce and Batman. Like, why would Bruce Wayne want to bring Black Lightning into a situation? Why would he reach out to Black Lightning to say, hey, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like for you to get involved in what I'm doing here? And I just kept going back to the idea that he recognized that Jefferson was an educator. He was a teacher, you know. Uh, and Bruce is a, is a very good mentor, but I don't think Bruce has the best bedside manner. And so he might recognize that about himself and say, hey, I've got people here that need more than I'm good at giving. And I need someone that they'll respect that can also help lead them through some of the personal issues they have, because that's not particularly what I'm good at. Uh, so, so, yeah, so those are the themes that, you know, I kind of had in mind when I saw, you know, the, the kind of toys that DC wanted me to play with. And that's largely what I built the story from. Nice. So as did you find it is it is it more difficult to come in because obviously uh, I'm sure before beginning to, to to work on your story you read what James had been doing and got immersed into uh, where the title has been leading uh, is it difficult to follow someone else's story and say okay how am I going to take this into the story I'm going to tell, or does that sort of give you like a running start to, okay, well, the story's already off and running and I'm just going to leave it into where I'm going. Well, yeah, I, I use it as the foundation. Like, you know, like, so I, I read through James's work and said, okay, what elements of this do I think are interesting and what can I do differently while still giving the people that have been following this book an experience they'll appreciate? So, you know, one of the things I saw that was going on, and this is just in general, and this is, you know, something that, that I thought was kind of cool, is there was, a, there, there was a lot of almost like science fiction elements that were coming into, into Detective. Mm, you know, yeah. like uh, broader ideas and like very powerful characters and all of this, this sort of thing. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. So what happens if so a character comes into the story that challenges Bruce on... The, the very concept of Batman himself. You know, what if a character says, you know what, Bruce, you have gone too far from what you tried to be. 
And I think I can teach you how to be what you need to be again. Because you've gotten more about the gadgets and the toys and the technology and less about the bat. You know, and the Gotham needs the bat, right? And so that's sort of you know, kind of what I what I had in mind. Because um, it didn't seem like a benefit to readers to simply expand on what what was already happening, but rather to kind of examine the ramifications mm. of what has happened, right? Mm. And to tell the story and the consequence of what is happening, that just seemed a more interesting way to integrate the great work that James had done. What uh, what are some of the aspects that you think you like the most from his run that maybe you found like fresh or interesting? Uh, I I really admire his like dimensional additions to Tim Drake. Yeah. Because, you know, Tim for a long time was a character that was kind of, you know, kind of in between spaces. You know, he wasn't the <coughs> Olympic master athlete that Dick Grayson is. He wasn't the problem child hothead that Jason Todd was. And, you know, what does that, you know, really kind of mean? Like, what, where does he belong? I think he did a great job of having Tim, unlike the other characters in the Bat family, have a kind of a rich and deep understanding of who he is. You know, who he is and, and what he can do and also what he doesn't have to be, right? Like he, you know, he kind of recognized I don't have to be X because I can be Y. And I thought that was a really great addition to him. I mean, in a lot of ways, Tim Drake is the character in the Batverse that you'd rather know. You know, if like if you're going to pick one of them to kind of hang out with, I'd probably hang out with Tim. I don't <laughs> think Bruce is very much fun. Um, and Cassandra doesn't talk that much, you know. <laughs> so... So you know, and Jason seems like he'll just get you in a fight. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. And then, and then, if you're saying that's a big Grayson, well, none of none of the women in the bar are paying any attention to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think you know he James did a great job of creating a character or like expanding upon a character uh, like Tim and really giving readers an anchor, like an emotional anchor into that world. And really made him the heart and soul of what was going on. I thought that was really great. Yeah. He, he definitely um, did things with uh, Tim Drake that I think no one had really ever thought of doing. Um, really anchoring him as kind of like almost in, in his book at least, like the heart and soul of his Bat totally. family. You know? um, and it was just <clears throat> really crazy to see all the things that he... It, making it a team book basically was crazy. Um, and very cool to see. Also using some of the characters that he did that were kind of... You know, there's so many characters, obviously, in the DC Universe that you can't possibly use all of them. But it was cool to see a team book that, you know, is able to uh, to, to, to play with some toys, like you mentioned, that aren't always uh, used. But, um, man. So, okay. the ba So, so it basically, it was, the TV t it was the TV stuff that kind of brought you over to the current comic stuff then. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I, I somehow I slipped and fell and wind up, <laughs> wound up like in the middle of all this DC stuff, you sure. know, and uh, I didn't really even have like big two work on my mind. Like my first season of television was Ash versus Evil Dead. So I did that for stars. Very cool. Um, and the showrunner in that was Mark Verheiden, who's actually the showrunner of the uh, recently announced Swamp Thing series that they're oh. doing on the same DC uh, network that Titans is on. Right. And Mark, any any chance uh, we'll we'll get to see you be involved with that then? I don't know. You know, it's it's all about scheduling, mm. uh, and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to you know kind of work on um, both things uh, with the way that they stagger out these these TV schedules. I mean, I, I 
I love, uh, you know, Mark Verheiden's work, and he was such a good guy to me. I, you know, it was, I was so green when I came into Ash vs. Evil Dead. I mean, I'd written some TV pilots and hadn't sold any, but I had pitched them uh, uh, a bunch of places, and so I had a little bit of ring time talking about television. Uh, and Postal got picked up for development by Hulu, and so that kind of reawakened um, an interest in, in me being interested in TV. Uh, and, and Mark just kind of gave me a, a phone call one day and, and said, hey, I'm Mark Verheiden, you know. And I knew who he was because I was a big fan of Battlestar Galactica. He had written a, you know, a few beautiful episodes of that. And um, and I'd seen his name on Daredevil because he worked on the uh, first season of Daredevil. And so I was like, oh, I know Mark Verheiden is. Okay, this is cool. I hope I don't owe him money. And <laughs> um, he's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm running the show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, and I just wanted to know if you were interested in it. Are you familiar with Evil Dead? And I was like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm sure, Necronomicon, all about that. Yeah. So I had coffee with Mark, um, and you, if you met him, you wouldn't know that he's like this luminary in television. Like, he has so little Hollywood on him, and I mean that in the best of ways. Yeah, He's just an instantly disarming just genuine guy and it taught me that you really don't have to be an asshole and succeed in hollywood like you can really be just a, a good good person and we had a great conversation you know i hadn't worked in television um before uh but you know i'm a fast learner and i I'm, think i'm a decent collaborator and so i you know i'd done that season uh there and it was great experience you know small writer's room um made some good friends there you know, another writer that was on the show, uh, Luke Calto, he's now working on Krypton uh, with Cam Welsh. Nice. And uh, Luke also worked on Daredevil. He's a brilliant writer, man. He's just incredible. Just watching him break story in the room, it's phenomenal. Uh, and yeah, I came through that experience really enjoying it. Got to meet Lucy Lawless, and that was an amazing experience. Um, she asked me where the, the pretzels were. Uh, and and i was like i'll get the pretzel for you Still and i got her a pretzel and she said thank you and then i almost melted it is amazing uh, yeah totally i mean like see like i those are the people i geek out about the people who you like watched and the stuff that you watched over and over and over again yeah you know like it's it's it, 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 those are the people that just send you right back to a period of time you know and when when Lucy's just standing there, and you're like, "That's that's Zena." Yeah, I'm talking to Zena right now, and this is an amazing experience for a kid from St. Louis, Missouri. By the way, uh, I mean Zena was from when we were a little bit younger, but she still looks amazing. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the 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 Lucy Lawless experience is not disappointing on any level. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, it's it's still a pitch perfect experience. Let me tell you. Yeah, like see, seeing um, her in some of the, her recent work, it's like, wait, what? Like she has hardly aged at all. How is that possible? And she's a lovely singing voice too. She she sings like jazz standards in New Zealand oh, or, nice. or or something like that. Um, yeah. So you know, I just kind of come out of come. I I fell into working on Evil Dead. Like I I know this is disheartening for people that really want to work in TV. <laughs> Don't let it be yeah. like, yes, yeah, yeah it kind of looks like a stumble and a fall and whatever. But, you know, I'd written like a bunch of scripts that yeah. I hadn't gone anywhere. I sent them out. So I had put some ring time in to get to the point where you could slip and fall. Like all it's really about is getting into the room where all the oil puddles are. And then, yes, you will slip and fall into your room. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you have to work to get into that room. Many sleepless nights of getting into that room. 
Yeah. So, you know, and then the, the, I, I wasn't really looking for another television series after evil dead. Um, real quick before, before you get off of evil dead, were you, were you, um, on the writing team from the beginning of that series? No, just the last season, just the final season, third season. Um, I, I'd watched some of the first season before I took the meeting. And then after the meeting, I kind of caught up on the whole bit of it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was just this third season. And, um, uh, what an awesome thing to have on a resume, man. It's it's cool. I mean, I I remember like there was a little video store called Bijou Movies, and it was right around the corner from my house. Not right around the corner, but about like a mile walk. You know, you walk all the time. So I used to walk over there, and they would have like Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, and yeah. you know they would have like the movies that were a little difficult to find when you were renting videotapes. And I know there are people listening to this that have no idea what a videotape is. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was a book sized bit of technology that would play a movie in something we called a VCR, uh, and so. Yeah, like, you know, when you're working on these characters and they're like these classic, important characters in popular culture, Ivan Raimi uh, was in the room with us. Yeah. So you get like an anecdote about Darkman in the middle of the day. Wow. And you're like, what? Ivan actually gave me some original press photos uh, from Darkman. No way. That he had. Yeah, because I was a huge Darkman fan. Of Liam Neeson? Yeah, just like just, wow. just like stuff from like press junkets they took back in the day. I, Ivan's also a medical doctor, so that's an amazing thing, wow. you know. Um, yeah, so you're having these like collection of just surreal experiences over and over again. It's bananas. Um, but yeah, after that, I hadn't planned on jumping into a TV thing. I you know I had a screenplay assignment uh, uh, for a producer that I was going to work on, you know, I just closed a deal on that and I was getting ready to do that. And I was still writing books for top cow and kind of thinking about maybe an original you know, a graphic novel or, you know, maybe, um, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, doing, you know, be relaunching uh, top cow characters that, you know, what have you pitching my own television series didn't know. And, uh, got the call about Titans and they sent the script over and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. This is like, Titans Titans. Yeah. They didn't know what it was. Yeah. They didn't tell me what it was. But they sent the script over and then the front page said written by Jeff Johns and Akiva Goldsman. And I was like, well, clearly they sent the wrong script to the wrong guy. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the important one. Yeah. You're supposed to send me the other one. Um, and I read it and uh, uh, had a meeting with uh, the showrunner, Greg, and he was awesome. Um, and then I had a meeting with Jeff Johns. Uh, who, it, and it's kind of impossible to say his name without saying both words. It's just Jeff Johns. Like he's not Jeff. He's Jeff Johns. You know. Yeah. Um, we 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 call him uh, around here. We call him our Lord and Savior, Jeff Johns. Yeah, you know, and and it's the it was just the weirdest thing. Like, you know, I had a meeting at like one of these like hotels uh, here in Hollywood, which is already bananas. And I walk in there, and then like here comes Jeff. Okay, I guess I'm having a conversation with Jeff Johns now. Wow. <laughs> right? I guess I guess this is happening not. now. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, so, yeah, and so that happened. So it, it's all just sort of happened uh, very, not quickly, but in ways that I don't think I was necessarily driving the wheel in, in all of it. Um, and uh, the detective run is, you know, uh, is kind of, kind of similar to that. Um, I guess maybe, you know, my 25, you know, you know, 30 odd years of being a dedicated fan of Batman. I guess you've put all that energy into something. I guess sometimes that energy comes back. Yeah. Some, you know, someone, someone picks up on the, on the, uh, knowledge or the passion and they, they know who to plug into where. 
Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Um, what, what was it like talking to uh, Jeff? Well, you know, he's another guy who doesn't carry all of that stuff on him. Like, you wouldn't know that, you know, he's a guy that's written 10,000, you know, highly acclaimed comic books and produced and written hundred, hundred and fifty million dollar, two hundred million dollar film. Like you, you, he doesn't, he doesn't wear that. Like he's, yeah. he's just, he's just a guy. He's, you know, he's a down to earth guy. Uh, um, and I just related to him on that level. Um, yeah. and I, I consider myself a person without many pretensions myself. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to relate to that kind of uh, individual. And he's been incredibly kind, um, to me throughout this entire process and just was super generous and just, you know, that, the ability to sit in a room and watch Jeff go to a whiteboard and, and open up a Sharpie and just break a brilliant story right in front of you, moving at Barry Allen speed, yeah. is it's amazing. It's like a clinic. Like, you walk out of that room and you're a better storyteller just because you were there when it happened. Um, and he's been uh, really, really good to all of us and helped us, like, kind of bring out, I think, some of our best work. So... Um, that's been um, uh, a really great experience. It's also taught me how to handle, you know, larger amounts of success. You know, I'm certainly nowhere close to where Jeff is or Akiva or any of that. But when you meet these people and you see how like cool they are and patient they are and helpful, you know, it just teaches you, okay, this is, this is how you want to behave. If you are ever lucky enough to get to where they are, these are the kinds of people you want to be. Yeah. It's it's uh, inspiring, too, to hear him talk because you can tell he's the kind of guy that just loves creating stories. And he loves he loves absorbing other people's stories, and he loves creating his own like narrative. And anytime we've ever heard him do like, a Q&A or talk about um, any, any story that he's working on, it's always just like he's so he's – so, you could tell there's, you're only getting the, the tip of the iceberg with what's really going on in his head with everything that he's got going on with it, so – it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy's an encyclopedia of just comics in general, you know, and he has such a love for it. You know, it, it, it's, you know, hearing Jeff talk about storytelling in particular, like, you know, storytelling around these characters is, you know, it's like you're, you're listening to Henry Ford talk about cars. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're, you, you get caught up in their passion and it kind of reignites you know, the feelings that you had about all of this stuff. Um, and I, you know, I studied Jeff's work and then before that I was just a fan of it, you know? So it's crazy to be in a room with someone like that whose work you read just for, you know, uh, entertainment to get you out of a bad day back in the day. Yeah. And then you start studying it for its form and then suddenly you're having a conversation with this guy. And I, I think some of, uh, his brilliance of creation comes from, from what I've heard of him, uh, as you know, from, uh, a, a collaborating with him standpoint is that he doesn't switch off. Like uh, I, I've heard stories of him texting ideas for a story at 5 a.m. when he's on his way to the gym. Well, yeah, he's he's got that thing, you know. Like like you you hear about like folks like Tom Cruise having it, you know. You hear about um, you know like superstar athletes Kobe Bryant, you know. He's got that thing where there is always a part of him working on making his work as best as it can be. You know, you can just, it's almost like a, an audible hum you can hear, you know, it's just, the machine is always working. 
uh, and seeing how excited he gets about his work. And you think at this point, how could you get genuinely excited about something when, you know, you've had so much success that you've kind of run out of all of your firsts, right? And he'll come into the office and show me, you know, pencils on Doomsday Clock and be like super excited about it. He's as excited about that as I am for the pencils that Miguel, you know, sends over in the email for detective. Um, because he just loves it that much. And it really teaches you, uh, about humility, you know, to the, to the, the craft and the legacy, uh, of all of it. And it's, it's, I, I've been very fortunate to have these experiences as I'm sort of figuring my own path out that have been instructional, not only because of the task I'm working on at the moment, but just in general about how to approach life. Really uh, brilliant kind of uh, inspirational stuff when you see it's and like you said, it's sometimes some of us have to work really hard to be really good at something. And uh, then you get really pissed off when you see people that it's just constantly on their mind. And it doesn't, you know, <clears throat> it flows out of them sometimes too much at a time. And it's like, man, that guy, how does he do it? But Yeah, you know, in the relationship between Batman and, and Black Lightning, you know, you might you might get some uh, kind of adapted moments from Jeff teaching me things. Ah, awesome. <laughs> so, a little bit of that. You want, to, you want to window into some of those conversations. Very cool. Um, some of that stuff might show up kind of, you know, symbolically. Yeah. Uh, talking about your detective run a little bit, I saw that hmm. uh, you had your first uh, experience with um, kind of your phone, your phone blowing up and uh, news breaking. I don't know if it was real news or not, but, uh, you know, news breaking when you didn't expect it to, where I think your issue was pushed back an issue. Your your first starting issue was pushed back. And it started, oh, yeah, yeah. People started, yeah, drama. Yeah, people started speculating that maybe you were off the book or something. Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many rumors that fly around the entertainment business in general, and you never can really, you know, pay attention to the kind of stuff you see. But, you know, in that moment, I was having breakfast with Rihanna. And <laughs> we, we were ordering some mimosas. You know, we're talking about the work that we're going to do in this next album. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the weekend. So that's just the music up. video. Yeah, yeah. So the weekend, the weekend showed up, you know, because Abel's always late. Uh, he just, Abel, he doesn't wake up early. He's not a, not a morning person, Abel. So Abel gets there, and they, and then the phone's on the table, and it's starting to shake, and the whole thing, and I look at it, and then there's this whole, like, article and thing. So I'm like, all right, Rihanna, I'm sorry, I gotta go deal with this, and, you know, I'm sorry, yeah, sorry, Abel, I gotta get out of here, you know, it's fine, you know, we'll, we'll, we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about that, and we're gonna bring, you know, Jay-Z in later, you know how it works. So, so, so yeah, so I just saw that, and, and really, look, it's, there's 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 a game of press that has to get played. I totally understand it. It's totally fine. Um, I just wanted to hop on Twitter quickly to let you know the people that follow me know that uh, everything was all right. Like the, my my first thought is always about the people who have invested into me and my work, and who are looking forward to something or um, just been like super supportive. And I just wanted to make sure that they didn't feel confused about what was going on. I mean, it doesn't affect me negatively in any way because I know exactly what's happening. Sure. But, you know, for, for like a reader, especially kids, yeah. like a lot of the people that follow me on Twitter are young. Yeah. They're young people, you know, and and a lot of them, you know, they might have had a good, you know, uh, conversation with me on Twitter or something and that's made them feel a little bit better about, you know, what they can accomplish. And, you know, I just did this charity drive around uh, Detective that um, was really successful. You know, we raised 
uh, 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 kind of over a thousand bucks for the um, this Denver Children's Hospital organization, Kid Street. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I saw I saw that uh, happening on Twitter, and uh, the Bat Force did uh, do a share of that on on Instagram. That's right. Yeah, I appreciate the, that. Thank you guys. Try, yeah, try to do our, our part to help it out. Yeah, I mean, I try to you know I try to give back as as much as I can whenever I can, especially around you know characters like superheroes and and what they really mean for us in our real lives. And you know, when, so when you're you're trying to to maintain all of that positivity, I just had to get out there and, and to say, hey, you know, Rich is just playing. Don't worry about it. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's not a big deal. Like that's fine. Um, so yeah, so the numbering has moved. Um, there's going to be a single issue that I uh, oh god, who's writing? I forgot who's writing. Michael. It's, Morrissey. Yeah. And um, it's got Deacon Blackfire in it. So it's yeah, yeah, awesome. cool. So yeah. make sure make sure you don't forget that because that's going to be a cool issue. Pick that one up. And Michael's a great guy. Um, uh, you know, we talk uh, digitally a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, everything is everything is all gravy in, mm. the, in the city of Gotham. Um, I'm getting pages from Miguel you know, kind of every day and they're awesome. Um, and I can't wait to show you guys. And like the Mark Brooks covers that. We're oh. getting as well. I mean, they're that, incredible. Right? So, yeah, I, w- I want those as prints. Just... Yeah, yeah, totally. I told them like, can I get a high res file of this so I can <laughs> yeah. print this out for myself? You yeah. know, and 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 frame it up on my wall. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but the the awesome thing is, you know, I've never actually been in a situation where I had rumors popping off like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is pretty awesome. It's uh, it's pretty it's it's also like I mean you're experiencing kind of like what we've seen recently with this shift of you mentioned having a, you know a lot of young fans following you yeah um, for sure you know it comics are now uh, more accessible I think to kids who have iPads or iPhones or whatever than ever before I think a lot of generations especially now brick and mortar stores are hard to come they're hard to find they're shutting down everyone's buying digital which you could say is good or bad but um, in the end. You know, it's kind of uh, opening up a new generation to the ability of reading comics. And what we've seen online is there's a lot of really young, you know, around the tweens, I would say, of kids getting into it. And at that age, you know, what you like and what you are passionate about becomes your life. So these kids, like, they're on, you know, it's in between their periods at school. It's on lunch break after school. They're on Twitter, like, 24-7 you know, just uh, waiting on bated breath for any news of their favorite comic character or writer or something. So I saw that happen with you a little bit of, um, you know, people maybe with expectations of a, with Black Lightning making an appearance or just ha- having you kind of do a fresh take. Um, I saw kids kind of going crazy, like, what does this mean? You know? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, you, you know, like, yeah, I'm that that's that's really the only thing that concerns, uh, yeah. you know, me about things, making sure that, like, people are still, like, Everything is fine. Yeah, you know, d- you know, don't don't feel let down because nothing nothing bad is happening. It's not a crisis. Like yeah. you're still going to get the story that I've been telling you. You're going to get for a while. You know, you just when you when you start doing things and your profile starts to increase, then you just become you know part of that kind of maelstrom of gossip coverage. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what they're going to write when they find out about me and Drake. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as this, as soon as interview hits, man, you're going to see it. So as it hits, man, that, that Drizzy project, that Drizzy Cardi B project that I can't talk about, oh, going to drop. Yeah. The mixtape's coming out. It's going to be crazy. Uh, you're out there on Twitter. You see uh, the kind of footprint that you can leave now. Um, is it is it like crazy? You know how do you how do you take it? Well, I look. You know, I 
my my footprint is still very very small you know in in the world of the tom kings and uh you know the the donny cates and and in and the brian bendises and all these guys you know i tiny tiny little footprint tiny little footprint. <laughs> um but look i if i can be a positive influence uh in whatever little small way like if somebody who's having a bad day can go to my twitter feed and catch a joke or catch some you know advice on kind of writing or how to get your career going or whatever it is and that making that can make things a little better sure you know great you know if, if someone can see something in my journey that reflects an aspect of their life and makes them feel like okay well brian seems to be doing it and so maybe i can do it i think i think that's all a great thing you know it's um uh, I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity to be able to communicate with so many people. And you know that like the, you know, the interaction that you get on social media, that's a fraction of the people that are actually experiencing your work. True. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, cause you'll go to a convention and sit down at a table and, you know, suddenly like these people that you've never met come up, they've got everything that you've written, you know, or at least a lot of your recent stuff and things really matter to them and, um, it's, it's all like incredibly humbling. Like I, uh, you know, maybe it's just because I've been kind of around the entertainment business for a long time, kind of post NYU really. It was, you know, it, it, there is always some aspect of it kind of floating around my life. You know, you just come to expect occasionally and an, an invasion of privacy here and there is just going to mm-hmm. happen. Um, but, uh, that comes with the job, you know, like you don't get paid to, to do the art. You get paid to do all the stuff around the art. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I look at it. What uh what what keeps you sane then like amongst the uh, the work like what what kind of things do you do like when you're writing? Do you listen to music? Um do you read other people's work to keep you inspired? A lot of times writers say that some of the writers that we talk to say that they try not to delve into other people's work too much because they want to have like a clean slate, but is there like something mm-hmm. that you do to keep creative and to keep the juices flowing? Well, Johnny Walker uh, <laughs> makes an excellent Scott. Uh, Johnny Walker Black is uh, always a favorite of mine. If you ever see me at a convention and you know you bring me some Johnny Walker Black, you know that's gonna get, get you something. I don't Keep know what, that in mind. Something. Um, yeah, you know I I enjoy consuming um, people's work all the time because I'm learning. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if I look at like let's, let's take Sheriff of Babylon. And I read it and I study Tom's economy, just how he's able to get so much done without a lot of words, mm. you know, um, how, how he can tell a story, uh, with, with gesture and just kind of like the physical acts of storytelling with the work that he and Mitch are doing, you know, cause Mitch is sort of designing the images as well. You know, looking at their work in Mr. Miracle and seeing how did it evolve between Sheriff of Babylon and Mr. Miracle, you know, how, how is their work on, on a quote unquote superhero? different than the work um about a you know kind of a special forces guy in iraq you know and what are the what are the things you know court of owls so you know reading that learning from scott's work and seeing he's all how he's able to handle things now, i probably read year one and dark knight returns once a month wow. um to just understand the rhythms of frank's voice and the the way he uses poetry and the evocative sensory imagery of his voice um you know like that that line in um in Dark Knight, when he says, you know, he kicks that guy, and then all the sounds come up wet. It's yeah. like, well, wow, that's awesome. So, so you know, I, it, it's all 
stuff that kind of helps me get in the zone. You know, I'm, I'm inspired by people's work um, a lot. Like for a detective, you know, I rewatched the Nolan movies. I mean, I own them, so I've watched them a bunch of times. But I rewatched them, um, just kind of absorb what, you know, Jonathan Nolan, Christopher, and David Goyer were doing with that franchise and how they were able to handle a couple things. You know, listening to the Hans Zimmer soundtrack is a, is a big oh, help. Yeah. You know, just sort of thinking about, hmm, okay. How are they able to kind of get this tone and balance the stuff out and all that? So yeah, so I, I'm a fan always while I'm, you know, kind of, kind of figuring you know out my own work. So it doesn't necessarily distract from me. I mean, sometimes you'll read something and it's amazing, and you're like, "Well, I'm garbage." Let <laughs> <laughs> me put that down. You go back to the aforementioned Johnny Walker, and that yeah. like recently uh, <laughs> I've been studying michael green's work the uh screenwriter uh who the television showrunner screenwriter michael green and he wrote blade runner 2049 and uh, he wrote logan and uh he's wow. really really cool on twitter you know he talks to people and and all that and so i've been looking at his screenplay for blade runner 2049 when you're in the writers guild you get uh screenplays sent to you uh-huh. sometimes because they you know they for the voting for the academy awards and all that and so i got into the guild when i sold my first screenplay a long time ago and, you know, I'm on the mailing list to get the script, so I've been reading that script, and it's amazing. And it, the first time I read it, I'm like, I don't even know why I'm trying to do this. I should just go try to be <laughs> in the NBA. It'd be easier if I dunked on somebody. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> but then, yeah, but then, you know, you read it, and you watch the movie, and sometimes if you're lucky enough, you know, you can get, you can just get some questions in on these guys. Like, guys like Zach Stentz, you know, he's great on Twitter. Michael's great on Twitter. Uh, 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 Robert Cargill is awesome on Twitter, Scott Derrickson. And these are guys that just answer questions. You know, hey man, how'd you crack this Doctor Strange problem? And then Cargo will be like, oh, well, I did this, 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 and this. You know? Um, So, yeah, it's... Even though it's very humbling to see people's work that, you know, in your perspective, is kind of dwarfs what you're doing, you also learn, you know, from it. And um, uh, the learning is the most important thing. I mean, the key to excellence is never, uh, you know, never getting out of the idea of being a student. If you remain a student, you will get to excellence eventually. You know, it's so, yeah, for me, you know, reading the work of my contemporaries or even past work uh, is, is always useful. It's the bad things that I try to keep out of my brain. Mm. The things that like, Oh well, what I wrote is much better than this Steven Seagal movie. You know, <laughs> like those are the things that add up to hubris. Yeah. So I try to keep as much like bad content out of my world as possible. Yeah, because I can lull you into a false sense of confidence. But yeah, the excellent stuff I track down and try to experience. Sometimes, sometimes the bad stuff's so bad that it comes back around and it becomes good, though. Like there's some Steven Seagal stuff out there that you're like, wait a minute, what just what was that? What just happened? This is well, not- yeah, well, don't and don't let me, you know, bring my high horse into your podcast. No. I did write a Dolph Lundgren movie. Right? Oh, so man. I, am, I have blood on my hands. What? Yeah, that's, which one was that? Because I, I mean, Dolph it's Lundgren, the Russian specialist in America, and uh, it's called the Mechanic Around the World. Okay. Um. So, so yeah, uh, um, yeah, so that's, that's my, it's about a Russian special forces guy named Nikolai Sharenko whose family gets killed and he has to go get them. Wow. You know, that's basically what it is. Uh, uh, I have no ties to Russia. I just, I don't know Russia. I just wrote a screenplay about Russia. I'm not Russian. I have no idea. Russia. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
the uh yeah so like you know um i try not to just be like oh i want to feel better about myself let me watch this thing i know is horrible like that doesn't help the room. Um, and a lot of times just real quick when you're working on different things and this is a kind of a, a tip for those that are creating out there and doing different stuff sometimes it's really good to anchor your creative work with some influences so when you switch from thing to thing you can watch something and get right back to where you need to go uh, right yeah so like if i if i have to turn if i gotta write an issue like you know my next issue of detective i have to write uh next week i'll watch the first 15 minutes of the dark night and boom i'm right where i need to be nice. you know and I'm in that space, and I can write that issue and whatever. And then if I was writing Postal, for instance, my Top Cow book I was doing, you know, uh, based on Matt's uh, story concept, True Detective was wow. the gateway to oh. that. Right? I would just watch the uh, – if you go to YouTube and you can see, like, you know, they, these, these YouTube editors do these great little clip montages of yeah, things. Yeah, So I would go uh, watch this montage – uh, uh, of McConaughey's work in the first season of True Detective. Yeah. And I would watch that no matter what I was doing, boom, I was right in the zone I had to be. So I use all those different things to kind of get me back to where I need to go. Yeah. Like hash photography, looking, listening to jazz, listening to a little bit of Drake or The Weeknd or something to get you into that, yeah. that cool place and do that. So yeah, so it's all helpful for me. That's, that's a great... Um... That's a great kind of tool because I never thought of using like film as, and not not just a whole film, but maybe like a scene as a way to mentally get you into the zone of like writing or. or oh yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Like what I'll do is, um, even if I just turn the sound down, so like I'll have my iPad, uh, um, up in my office, um, and because I got a home office that I work in, and um, I'll put like a movie on the iPad, and it'll be silent while I'm working, and I'll probably play some music. That kind of goes with what I'm working. And then you say, when you need to get that energy, like glance over, like I'm working on this kind of cool Los Angeles action crime story thing I'm doing. And uh, I put Miami Vice, the 2016 movie, on the iPad. Nice. So I, you know, I have that on. I've got the sound down. I'm listening to, you know, kind of like cool, moody, um, you know, uh, pop, electronica, hip hop, you know, like Star Sign, you know, Pilot Priest, Drake, you know, The Weeknd, Phil Collins, whatever it is. And I got this whole playlist, and then, you know, about five minutes in, I'm just in that space. I'm in that nice. zone, and I've got that energy, and then I can just transfer that energy onto the page. Genius. Um, we, we were just a little bit over the one-hour mark, so I want to make, make sure we're keeping your time into consideration. Oh, um, yeah, I got about, like, well, I got about 15 more minutes. Cool, like all right. So, um, Robin, you want to break into us? I, we have a couple of questions, a couple of listener questions. We had a couple, oh, of, please, couple yeah. of fan questions, and then we had something we like to do that's called the lightning round. Um, oh, that's awesome. just a kind of just kind of silly questions to get us to know, get our fans, uh, listeners rather, to get to know you better, your fans to get to know you better. So, um, real quick, let me just go through some of the fan questions. Um, we put up a little post asking if anybody had any questions for you. Um, mm. One thing was <clears throat> from our buddy Cult of the Batman on Instagram. He asks. Uh, specifically, I think he's referring to the Titans' work. Um, yes. Will Robin segue to Nightwing eventually over the series? It's entirely possible. Okay. Yeah, I, there are some things I'm sure that you can probably say, other things you probably cannot say. So, oh, it's all right. Yeah, just fire, fire away. Uh, sure. Well, you know, if you're going to give me a question, and <laughs> I don't think it's prudent for me to answer the question in great detail, what I can do is tell you the best I can. Uh, about what you might come to expect or not expect in the future. <laughs> Give us a night. It was a great presidential uh, uh, segue or a great presidential <laughs> response, actually. Um, another good question for the Titans uh, work, I think, is 
Could you tell us which universe is going to fall into? Will it be the Arrowverse? Is it its own DC universe? Um, universe or uh, even the films? It will be uh, in a universe that will show up on your television when you watch it that could be any of those you'll just have to tune in and find out very cool very cool do you know um so so far i think what we've gotten is just uh you can now log on to receive email updates and um i guess reserve a place for the platform which is the streaming platform have you heard of anything as far as like a date on when um like the first show is going to launch or anything like that Oh, I, I have not. You know, all all those decisions are so far above me. Yeah. That um, you know, when you're working on a show, you are in the trenches, sure. really, and you you know you you don't really understand what's going on. Um, you know, back back in those offices, because you're so just focused on getting the creative work done. Got it. Um, I mean, I know that 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 Jeff and Akiva and company have a really great plan for everything, but they haven't shared it with with me. And frankly, I haven't even asked. You yeah. know, it's it's easier for me to win the war when I'm just thinking about the battle and I'm not thinking about everything around the battle. Yeah. Um, the stream. So so with the Titan show, do you guys uh, write as things are being filmed, or is it you guys you you write in the writers' room, you get all the episodes out, and then they film, or is it kind of uh, continuously going at the same time? Well, most of the time in television, the writing is happening simultaneously with the shooting. Good God. Most of the time. Now, sometimes, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe in the case of Westworld, they finish all of the scripts and then they shoot. Got it. And I think a lot of the British stuff also follows that model, where uh -huh. they'll do all the scripts and then they'll shoot based on the scripts that have already been locked. But in American television, generally, there's writing and shooting happening simultaneously. There's always a little bit of overlap. Okay. Does that uh, play into maybe some of the, um, I guess, the vibe of the writer's room? Like, does it kind of feel like a pressure cooker environment? Is it pretty easy flowing? Well, you know, I'm sure some writer's rooms are very contentious. I mean, I've heard of a few that I can't share here that aren't the best places to work, you know, not the most pleasant places to be. Uh, in the case of Titans, the room is great. Cool. You know, we've we've got just a really awesome group of people, and they're all friends of mine now, which is not something you come to expect when you work in these jobs. I mean, you work with people and you work with them closely, but you know, you don't expect to be like you know, kind of buddies with them all the time. But you know, we've got some really really great folks in there. We got Richard Haddam, who's an excellent writer. Uh, he wrote the Mothman prophecies. Oh, man. Um, he just he just worked on an excellent episode of the show. He's on Twitter too, um, so he's fantastic. Follow him. I think it's just Rich Adam. Um, Gabrielle Stanton, who uh, was running like Haven for a while and has worked on like tons of sci-fi TV. Um, she's awesome, and you know she's she's in there with us. So yeah, we just happen to have a really great collection of um, you know just really great people. Awesome. Um, so, uh, so, so we don't really have that. I mean, yeah, there's, look, there's always deadlines. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's always pressure, um, for a working class kid from Missouri, kind of hearing the numbers that are getting spent on things kind of, you know, drains the color from your face, but that's just Hollywood in general, right? You're just like, whoa, um, you know, cause TV and Hollywood and movies, you know, it's just, all of it's just so expensive. Uh, and so you, you you do you recognize the cost of what's being produced, but part of being successful in entertainment is 
making sure that the pressure never internalizes. You know, that's not, for anyone listening to this that would like to do these things, one of the most important aspects of your career will be your ability to manage kind of a high pressure situation without letting that pressure, you know, kind of take over your nature, right? And you've just got to, you just got to kind of get in there and get it done. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm sure places get really contentious with arguments and what have you, but Greg, the showrunner, he's such a great guy that has just a, a really welcoming and warm kind of presence around him that I, you know, I just think it, it's impossible for me to imagine a scenario where people are arguing in the room with him. That's awesome. It's, it's great to have a working environment like that, um, especially when you're working on something as cool as what you, got, you get to do. So, Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, another question from uh, the audience. One, uh, this is uh, back to the Detective Comics. It says, mm. uh, J- or, "Yeah, James Tynion uh, made it more of a Bat Family book. How much are you going? You kind of answer this. How much are you going to incorporate Bruce Wayne versus uh, Bat Family?" Well, you know, I think there's 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 a balance of three aspects really. Um, in addition to like Black Lightning being in the book, you know, there's the Bat Family. You know, the characters that Bruce has brought into his world. There's the concept of Batman himself, the presence of Batman himself. And then there's also Bruce Wayne, um, who's going to figure largely into the story. And so, you know, I can't guarantee that everyone's favorite character is going to play a major role in what I'm doing because there's only so many characters I can service properly. I'd rather not use a character than to use a character badly. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it all depends on where the story kind of leads me, um, and all of that. I can say that because I'm a tremendous fan of Cassandra Kane, that you're going to get, um, a good amount of Cassandra, Very uh, cool. in the story. And, um, uh, and you're going to see, you know, the interactions between those characters, you know, kind of represented. I, I, I don't want to give out a roster on a podcast, but <laughs> you just sort of have to like read the story and watch it evolve. Got it. Um, Robin, you want to jump into the lightning round? I got some, uh, yeah, I got sure some you queued are. up. Yeah, I got some queued up. So yeah, uh, bounce back and forth here. Yeah, lightning round is just very fun. Couple of quick questions to uh, mm-hmm. just to get inside your head a little bit. See see what you kind of think of different things. Um, so you're from St. Louis originally, mm. um, just south of Chicago. Um, right. Would you prefer Chicago pizza or New York pizza? Oh, New York pizza. Oh, okay. All Chicago right. pizza is like cake with sausage in it. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> We've had it called soup, it's cheese, cheese soup, soup, and now cake. Cake with cheese on it. I mean, look, look, let me, let, like, again, there are times when I want cake with sausage in it. Okay. But those aren't the times when I want pizza. Oh, shots fired. All right. It's funny, we got a... <laughs> One of our one of our uh, buddies who's also on the podcast with us, we call him the Trunkler because uh, he's such a huge collector. He keeps many things in his trunk to hide from his wife. Um, awesome. But he's from Chicago and he lives and dies by Chirac, you know, pizza. So um, he's going to be. It's, it's just so heavy. Yeah. That I, you know, I can't I can't get down like it, that. You know, when yeah. you hit, we hit forty. You can't just do the things you used to do. You yeah. know, like if I eat a eat a slice of Chicago pizza. That's like seven days of work, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so a nice New York thin crust slice on the wall. That's more go. about my speed. There you go. Okay, um, St. Louis style barbecue versus Texas style. Ooh, well, okay. When when you say St. Louis, see, for me, St. Louis barbecue is a sauceless dry rub, uh-huh. usually smoked, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And then Texas barbecue. 
tends to have a nice, rich sort of Texas barbecue sauce on there. Yes. Um, and it's a bit of a sloppier experience, but it's like real tangy and tasty. Yeah. Um, I honestly have to say, probably go with the Texas. Man. Like when I want a when I want a barbecue experience. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I kind of like a little barbecue sauce in there and, uh, when it, when it's like ribs. So if you're talking like ribs, yeah. probably Texas. Now, if you're talking like pulled pork, like some kind of smoked meat, like smoked chicken or something like that, then I will go St. Louis style. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Great choice. Um, what is a movie that can come on at any time on the television and you'll stop whatever you're doing and watch it till the end? Heat. Heat. Awesome. De Niro uh, and uh, Pacino, Val Kilmer yeah, as well. Michael Mann is is likely my favorite filmmaker. Wow, cool. So, uh, um, you know, if I catch Heat on TV, uh, uh, I'll definitely watch that until the end of it. Runner Up is the first Blade. Oh, very good. Because yeah. it's like one of the most watchable movies ever. Yeah. See, the problem with the first Blade is you're just going to watch till that awesome part, but then you realize that the next awesome part is like 30 seconds away. Yeah. And then before you know it, you know, you're watching the credits roll. Did Goyer, did Goyer write that one? Goyer, yeah, Goyer wrote it and Steve Norrington directed it. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, I think Blade, because Blade was before The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that kind of cinematic style was set in that movie. And if you just, you know, fire it up right now, I mean, some of the effects as all CGI it's a little dated, yeah. you know, compared to what we have right now. Like, I mean, compared to like Josh Brolin, Thanos and all that. Yeah. But, you know, just to kind of watching the editing and the choreography and the music, the sound design, the cinematography, that movie just drips with so much cool uh, that it's really hard for me to turn that thing off when I see it. Aside from uh, Batman, it was also like one of the first legit bat or superhero movie, or yeah, like uh, comic book movies too. Yeah, nice. man, that like really like gave you a cinematic experience that yeah. you know matched like the best aspects of the comic book. Was, I just don't think Blade gets enough credit for what it, was it did. Rated R too, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah, so that yeah. was huge too. Is like how 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 huge it was for the fact that it was a rated R flick. That was crazy. Yeah, it's mind blowing, man. Yeah. Like you know, like back in the day, you just hadn't seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, last full album that you listened to? Oh, um, that would be. My was it my beautiful melancholy by the weekend? Cool, probably. I think the same day it was like no jacket required. Phil Collins. Okay, very nice, very nice. Um, last movie in the theater that you saw? Infinity War. Infinity War. Ah, how'd you like yeah. it? Loved it. Yeah, you weren't heartbroken or anything like that. No, I mean I knew the story, man, by the comics. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, you know what's gonna happen. I just thought it was like a really. Um, movies are expensive in Los Angeles because I don't go to premieres because yeah. I just don't, I can't enjoy a movie at a premiere, man. Like, that's not watching a movie. Watching a movie is like in your sweatpants with too much popcorn, <laughs> butter yeah. dripping down your face, yeah. watching something, you know, and just enjoying yourself. Like, how am I going to enjoy a movie if like Chloe Bennett's like 10 feet away from me? Yeah. Like, I can't do anything, man. I'd be distracted the entire time. Yeah, we so, we, uh, we went to the Justice League premiere, and it was, the movie is an hour and a half, and, and the experience, the rest of it was like five hours, you know, like, red carpet and all that other stuff. And then, once we get in the theater, we're like in the nosebleeds up at the Kodak, like, you can barely see the screen, but, yeah, you're right, you definitely want to sit down, spread out, man spread, and enjoy yourself. You gotta see the movie with people, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I try to be... To be a man with Rihanna, exactly. Okay. You know, just like 
Yeah. I'm trying to be a man of the people. <laughs> so, yeah, like I, I, I never go to like the. I mean, look, God bless Mark Bernardin because he's so good at all that stuff, and he goes to all. His, I, I, don't, I, I'm not cool enough for there, that. So. There's a, yeah, <laughs> there's a certain type of. You have to have something in your personality that allows you to be able to do that too, though. Like yeah. sometimes I think like socially, it's just it's too much to uh, go just to do that like four or five times a week. You know. Um, yeah, it's just there's there's a lot of pageantry and you know for when I was growing up movies were an escape from like the stress of just day to day living you know just kind of like yeah. whatever you were going through right like yeah. the girl didn't call you back and she didn't call me back a lot so you know like you just go into the theater and you're watching the thing and I don't like to have to share that with yeah. event stuff yeah 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 so yeah it's really flattering to get invitations to all this stuff. But yeah, I, I rarely, rarely go. But yeah, Infinity War was the last thing that I, I saw. It was really, I mean, the Russo brothers are 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 really fantastic directors, and the the way that they were able to manage the stories of all of those characters simultaneously without making it feel just like a collection of cameos. Yeah, um, I thought that was super impressive, and bringing all these worlds together, like Guardians, and bringing that into you know, the world of the Avengers and the integrating Spider-Man into it. I was just incredibly impressed by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, huge, huge event. I still haven't seen it. Gotta go to see it. Anyways, um, last show or movie that blew you away? Ooh. Uh, blew me away? Probably Hannibal. Ooh, the show? Yes. Yes. Um, Hannibal accomplished some things that I did not think were possible in a television show, much less on a network television show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I would watch it, and we were just in awe. Like, how are they doing this? Like, how did they get NBC to let them do yeah, this? Yeah, it is pretty disturbing. Uh, yeah. It, and great, the performances. Because, yeah. I mean, there's no... there. It seems like an on-paper losing battle. We're going to take this Thomas Harris world that's been explored ad nauseum in films with some of the best actors that have ever worked in cinema. Uh, we're going to make it a television series, and then we're going to cast new people in these roles, mm-hmm. one of the roles being one of the most iconic movie villains of all time, right? Like, how is that possibly going to work? And Brian Fuller, man, the confidence on that guy to even attempt to do that was inspiring. And then seeing, like, I remember like watching the, the pilot, and as soon as Matt Mickelson showed up, I'm like, oh, this is a ball game. Like, yeah. this is this is serious. So, yeah, like, that's um, that that's the last time I was really just completely floored by by a television show. That's in the- yeah, Matt, Mads, Mads is impressive. Uh, he, he brings something that uh, that not everyone brings. So, yeah, it's super impressive. I and mean, Halt and Catch Fire is another show that I love, and I thought that show was phenomenal from beginning to end you know i'm always talking on twitter about how i'd make lee pace batman if i could handle casting mm. awesome um in and out or shake shack hmm we just talking burger or we talking like fries and shake and everything too? uh the whole experience whole experience in and out just burger shake shack correct answer um whole experience in and out uh, just burger shake shack okay right uh robin uh laurel or yanny you know, I haven't listened yet, and I'm not gonna, because I think that's a CIA op, and I'm not participating. <laughs> oh, so so you're blaming Tom King? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm blaming, I'm blaming Tom, man. He, you know, he's going to Jason Bourne me right now. He's like somewhere <laughs> dumping a cell phone in a trash can while violins are going on, coming to get me in an overcoat. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, favorite flavor of M and M's. Ooh, I like the green ones. Nice. It's like the standard. Uh, wait, do they still make them? Does, does the green still come in the package? I, man, it's been so long. I'm, I've been on this yeah. ketogenic thing for a while, so it's like this super like low carb uh, mm. eating thing that yeah. you do. So I haven't had an M and M in like ten years. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right but around. What? It was. It's been about ten years when that marketing campaign for the green one was out. Remember that? Yeah, yeah the last time I had one, I just you know I like the chocolate one, like the normal, the normal M and M's. Yeah. Um, you know, and the green ones are always my favorite, even though they all taste the same. But I like the green. Yeah. There was an M and M I had not too long ago that was like spicy or something, and I thought that was pretty good. It was like Whoa. a spicy M M&M and M, and I don't know if they still do it. It might have been like a joke package or like a test market thing. I thought that was all. No, right. yeah, that's a but, thing. Spicy chocolate. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah you know, like a pe- peanut M and M's are tasty, but you just nothing beats like pouring those those little M and M's into your hand and like getting a good pile of them yeah. and just eating them and crunching it, and it all just turns into joy. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, that's pretty much it for the lightning round. Uh, but what I really okay, so you're you're a movie guy, right? You're you love movies, film. You went to film school. What did you? I do. What did you think of the? Uh, Zack Snyder vision of uh, Batman vs Superman, and then I mean, I guess technically Man of Steel, then BVS, and that's pretty much where it ends. Okay, yeah, you know, like it's the the movies are so kind of thoughtful in the direction that they go, yeah. and I think on their own terms, they are successful in telling the story that I think he wants to tell. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I have I probably have a different point of view on some of these characters sure then then zach does sure but i always judge a movie based on whether or not it failed to do what it intended to do yeah and i think his movies succeeded in doing what they intended to do you know yeah. um you know it's it, look it's super hard for me no pun intended to get christopher reeve out of my head yeah and to get the feeling of the christopher reeve superman out of my head so I think, you know, because I'm of the age where I grew up on Richard Donner, you know, Man of Steel, I enjoyed it, but it probably didn't reach my heart the same way it would have had I not been such a Chris Reeve fan growing up. And so, the yeah, same thing pop with, culture like, staple. yeah, yeah, you know, and like the, uh, whether it's Keaton or Bale's presentation, you know, I, the Nolan movies are very recent films. These are not old movies yeah, sure. as far as like film goes. So I was kind of still reeling from what Nolan had done and considering his work and watching it on DVD when, you know, there was a whole different tack being taken yeah. with Batman. Um, so that probably, again, like made it more of an intellectual experience than an emotional one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't like hate the movies in any way. Sure. I, I, and I, I respect the tremendous amount of effort that went into them. You know, I really like the action sequence with Batman at the end of Batman versus Superman when he's fighting the guys, and it's just like the video game. Yeah, that is amazing to see. On, on I was screen. like, "Ooh, cool!" Like yeah. that's you know, that's totally like a rock steady version of like what Batman is doing. That's that's an awesome thing there. I think the Hunter speech that Bruce gives to Alfred uh, at the grave of his parents, I think, is is an excellent moment in like Batman history. You know, I thought that was fantastic. So. 
the, those movies all have moments. Like the the Jor-El moment when um, they're on the craft in Man of Steel and Jor-El looks at Earth and is like, you can save her, you can save all of them. Yeah, and that was... You yeah. know, like, that got me. So, yeah. like, there's certainly moments in those movies that I'm like, oh, man, like, that really spoke to me. You know, when I saw, like, Justice League and the... Just the little moment that Superman has with Cyborg with the mother box. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing, like, Henry kind of relax and smiling a little bit and telling a joke and, and all that, like, that kind of got me. So, um, I think they've got, you know, really good actors kind of in those roles. And there's, like, good foundation for stuff to, to, to go for. But, yeah, it's just hard for me to knock out, you know, sure. these iconic other things that are kind of recent in my mind. Can you... Can you if, be- if, if you could touch uh, anything that hasn't yet been brought into that DC film universe... Yeah. Uh, you know, a- any character like you know, we're about to get Shazam brought in out of nowhere. If you could touch anything like that to to bring into the universe, uh, well, the two characters that I would really like to work on cinematically um, would probably be Doctor Fate because I think nice. that could be a, a really cool movie um, that breaks new ground even beyond what like Doctor Strange did. Sure. Um, and so I would really like to do that, and then the question. Ah, yeah. I think The Question could be an awesome movie that almost has like a bit of a John Wick feel without the guns so much. Well, at least not with Vic using the guns, like with other people using guns trying to get Vic. But yeah, like kind of doing like a little bit of like an Oliver Stone meets... Kind of a pulp character. Yeah, I think that could be a really cool movie, especially right now when we're considering the importance of journalism and truth-telling in the world. Sure. I think that the question has a real place in those things. But I always like the, the kind of the, the outer rim characters. And I love Batman. Yeah. But like beyond Batman, I've always been like a wild dog guy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do a wild dog movie. with like Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) (laughs) So like I have, I always pitch Jeff my crazy ideas and he just laughs at me. It's hilarious. One day he came in and I'm like, Jeff, I got a great idea. Let's do a wild dog movie starring Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he just looks at me, laughs at me, and walks past me, patting me on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he then he pulls out a he pulls out like a tape recorder from his pocket. Note to self: Wild Dogs movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like, "That's cute, kid." It's yeah. <laughs> crazy. Um, if you if I were a production head, produce a studio head, I come to you and I'm like, any. Any budget you want, any genre you want, you can do what you can make whatever you want. What would you make? Oh, I'd make a James Bond film. Oh wow, cool. Do you like Daniel Craig as James Bond? I do, I do. Yeah. Um, I think I think um, especially Casino Royale, which I think is just kind of an excellent film in general. Yeah. Outside of being a Bond film, I think he's got that combination of savagery and grace that that bond needs to have yeah um and so i really love his performance i think they have to they need to figure out a good adversary for him i mean since skyfall they've been struggling a bit yeah yeah um but i'd I'd really like to see a story a bit like like the uh, like uh the man with the golden gun with uh daniel craig like just kind of putting bond up against an assassin who's assassinating things yeah (laughs) bond has to stop it yeah i think it'd be Super fun, man, and a really cool uh, story to write. Who would you cast as your Bond? <sighs> if I couldn't use Craig, um, 
not really certain, honestly. Well, assuming that some time is going to pass, I do like the idea of Hiddleston. I just like Hiddleston a little older than he is right now. Uh, you know, I think he's a little baby-faced for yeah. what I'd like to do. He's, thin, he's um, thin. He's a thin guy, too. Yeah, he'd have to put on a little weight. Yeah. Um, uh, if I had if I had like a gun to my head and I had to cast it right now, I'd probably pick Tom Hardy. Oh wow, very cool. I think Tom Hardy Bond would be um, just kind of like a really interesting character study. And again, like kind of, it would feel like a Michael Mann film. Like my Bond would feel like Michael Mann's James Bond. Mm. Without trying to delve into things that he can't talk about yeah. and wasting his time, that that about covers it for me. Brian, well, right on. Well, when when you know when the show premieres and the books are out. If you guys want to, you know, revisit this and I can answer specific questions about things that are in the public eye, yeah. I'm happy to come in and do that. That'd be amazing. I know that there's going to be people, obviously, who after they read, uh, you know, your run, they're going to they're gonna have questions. They love the characters and the, and the book. And it's a huge flagship book, you know, Detective Comics. So it's awesome to, uh, to you know, have the guy that uh, writes it to be able to come and answer some questions. So thanks so much for your time, man. This was awesome. We had a great time. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, guys. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, just uh, anyone listening to this, follow me on Twitter. It's uh, pretty simple. It's just at Brian, Brian with a Y, Edward Hill. That's where all of my uh, kind of updates and announcements, I kind of do most of my breaking news stuff on Twitter, and I love talking to readers and fans and writers and creators and everything. So come on, join the family. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. We and, really uh, appreciate it. June, uh, Thank you, guys. June 27th is uh, Detective Comics 983, the first issue uh, of Brian's run. That's right. It's uh, four days uh, after um, the June 23rd premiere of the 89 Batman film, so I'm close. Nice. I mean, it's almost a thing. You know, yeah. It's kind of around the same thing. So Stars align. Stars align, man. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. We really appreciate it. We had a great time. Right on. Thanks, fellas. Have a good night. Have a good night. You Take too, man. We'll All talk right. to you soon. Take care. Cheers. Later. Uh, do you want to do a quick stack? I think yeah, the, only, the only thing I, I can really talk about is Flash or No Justice. I guess we could just do those two, right? And then just talk about Detective. Yeah, like maybe... Uh, yeah, so is this uh, Tynan's final? Uh, I think it is, dude. Because what what, what's yeah. the issue number yeah. for... Um... Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, you guys just listened to our interview with Brian Edward Hill, new uh, writer of Detective Comics. Really awesome guy. Very interesting story. We're going to jump into the stack uh, for the DC Comics. The new issue is coming out for the... Is it the 23rd? Am I jumping ahead? The 23rd, right? Wednesday? Uh, yeah, I think you're... Uh, Wednesday, May the 23rd. Uh, new books. And uh, Detective Comics. Uh, this issue that's coming out is going to be James Tynion's last issue on the run. And um, he's been on it since the beginning of Rebirth. And we've been pretty much following it since then. And... Um, I think everyone that reads it in the Bad Force pretty much lo loves it. I know that uh, Legends yeah. loves it. You and I both love it. Um, ah, The Trunkler. I mean, probably next to Green Arrow. It's my favorite book. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it it was surprising right from the start. I've said this before, but like, Detective had, particularly in the New 52 and even pre-52 uh, pre time, uh, Detective had really taken a back seat to the, the main Batman title as being you know the the flagship Batman book, so it kind of took everyone by surprise when uh, James Tynan uh, started uh, Detective Comics at Rebirth and it was this team book and everyone was kind of oh it's it's going to be a team book How's and, and Clayface is on the team what's what's right. going on and it was shockingly great yeah really just like. Uh... 
I mean, the characters that you wouldn't think that you'd care about, like, I loved Batwing in this. Um, yeah. Never cared for Batwing before. Liked Ezreal. I mean, you know, uh, he had his solo book in the 90s and stuff like that, but it was cool to see him as part of the team. Um, I like the fact that Tynion gave Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown, like, a seat at the table, finally, as Bat family members when, you know, they had uh, little moments as Batgirl. Um, but he kind of made them their own character in this story, uh, which was cool to see, gave them their own identity. And I think like the biggest takeaway from what people have been saying is just his work with uh, Tim Drake and anchoring him as this really sound foundation for, you know, you got Bruce who takes off and he does everything that he has to do on his own with the Justice League and with the events and stuff like that. So you get a sense that what's holding down the fort when he's gone and in James Tynion's Batman universe, it was definitely Tim Drake. Um, and, you know, the art was great, too, for the most part. Um, I don't really remember much art dragging. I always liked the way it looked. The colors are great. The stories were super interesting. So it's kind of sad to see him go in one aspect, um, in the sense that he did such a great job with it. And I think that he, from the interviews that I had heard, or read, rather, he had been planning to be on Detective for a while. You know, he was he was planning to keep the stories going and keep kind of, like, unpacking this this big uh, Bat Family drama. And, you know, for, for reasons that uh, powers that be decide to change things up as things happen with uh, the DC Universe. Um, they got, you know, No Justice coming, or is actually here, rather. The event book's coming. Um, they probably want things to go in a different direction. Um, but it's cool, after talking to Brian, it's, I'm excited to see where he takes this. Um and see what he does with it. It sounds like he's making it a little bit more about Batman than than uh, than maybe previously. Um, so I think people will probably be excited about that. And based off of his background and the things that he's written before, it sounds like it might be kind of more of like a cinematic book. Um, he's like really influenced by movies and uh, other things that aren't comics. So it's cool to see that influence coming into comics. Um. Mm. But yeah, man, huge milestone for Tynion. I like the fact that this cover is basically uh, like uh, very similar to the, his first issue from the beginning of Rebirth. Uh, spoilers, the difference being that uh, there is no Clayface on the cover um, mm-hmm. for reasons that have occurred in the event, uh, in the book rather. But um, yeah, man, um, it's been great. And Batwoman's another character I think that kind of got a big platform for this book. Uh, a lot of people were, com- I wouldn't say complaining, but a lot of people have been missing the fact that she had her own book in the New 52 with J.H. Williams. And that was a really cool book because uh, it didn't really have anything to do with the Bat books. It was kind of its own little corner of DC Universe. Yeah. Where it wasn't really being influenced by or influencing uh, the Bat books, so it was able to do its own thing. And the art was fucking incredible. Um, but then, you know, that thing's... The yeah, stuff- Go ahead. No, you, I, I was jumping back to uh, things, so you, you can go ahead to uh, continue on on oh, that run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just you know, great stuff that uh, the Tiny was able to pull out. Um, and then uh, it, everything that he was doing with, uh, with Batwoman in Detective uh, went well enough that it led to her having her own title again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just great stuff, man, and like uh, 
if, if if anybody hasn't read Detective Comics for a while, if people have been like, oh, you know, I've been reading Batman, I like it, I've been reading this, I've been reading that, but you haven't had uh, a chance to crack open Detective Comics, go back to um, the the first issue where, where it started with the Rebirth. I can't remember what issue number it was, but um, it was the Rebirth special. So Detective Comics Rebirth would be the first issue, and then it jumps into his first issue of the run after that. Um, check yeah, it out, I, I man. think it was... Uh... I think it was 9.35. Jesus. That it started at. So uh, you know, it, it's been coming out bi-weekly like Batman. So mm. James is pushing, you know, 50 issues uh, yeah. under his belt for, for the title, which is that it's a, a pretty solid run. Very nice. Um, so, yeah, that, come out, that comes out this week. Definitely pick that up. Um, the big event. There's two pretty big event books that came out. Um, the first big one that's got the uh, ripples going through the DC Universe is issue three of uh, Justice League No Justice. Um, continuing on with the story from the last two weeks. Robin, what did you think of it? Uh, I love this series so far. And and this issue, things just really start getting crazy. Like uh, everything, there's only one issue left. Yeah, issue I, four is, yeah. is the end. So we see things uh, starting to, to come to a head here like uh, in... On Kalu, we see things looking like they're coming together. Everyone's succeeding in their missions with uh, uh, activating the trees that they're after. And it looks like everything's going to pan out okay there until it, until it stops looking like that. Mm-hmm. But then we've got things on Earth also coming to a head with uh, Ollie and Man Amanda Waller up at the Fortress of Solitude finding out that, well, we're too late, and this just got really bad. Yeah. Um, the Matt, was uh, was Francis Manipal on the art on this issue? Was it uh, yes, I believe it's Francis on... No, actually, uh, it's it's not uh, Francis. It wasn't Francis? Uh, Let me see, who was it? Tyen Williamson Rosmo. Uh... This is actually, I, I believe it's Riley Rosmo. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, I think it was a good transition, though. He has a different style than Manpool, but uh, the co- I think it's the colors that make it kind of all blend well. Um, that gave it the similar kind of feel. But... Yeah, Hi-Fi has been doing the colors uh, on uh, on all three issues, I believe, so far. Yeah. And I, I like the, the palette that he uses really works for this being on a different planet you know they're, they're not on earth so that that selection of colors that he's using uh, it i think it really works for for the being based on kalu i like when they're showing anytime they show the omega titans it's this huge like grand it they kind of give the perspective of the of the the viewpoint being on the ground looking up and it's really awesome the colors they use are very cool so yeah, um, I also fucking love Brainiac's ship. Every time they show that, super badass. Um, kind of reminds me of like Castle Grayskull, so it's really cool to see that kind of pop in and out of this issue. But um, do we, let's just get into spoilers, pretty much. Um, yeah, like okay. you were saying, uh, bringing it up to speed to what happened in the last few issues, um, the Justice League broke, what was it called? The Force Wall? Is that what it's called? The source wall. The source wall. So yeah, Justice at the, League. At the end of that. Yeah. So the Omega Titans are what was being held back behind the source wall, and just to boil it down to really stupid lingo, so even I can understand it, the Omega Titans were kind of like these, um, 
like otherworldly gardeners that basically started life in different parts of the, of the uh, universe and they planted seeds basically and they then they went away about their business and now they're coming back to reap the energy of what the seeds kind of grew and uh, that would include planets and life forms and all that kind of thing. So um, Brainiac dis- discovers the fact that after the source wall is broken that these Omega Titans are coming back to chomp on their creations and the first one being Kalu, and the ex- the one that Brainiac sets up to be the second one is Earth, so he could use, so he could basically blackmail the Justice League into helping him. Um, but then Amanda Waller fucks that up by uh, trying to use the telepaths to figure out what Brainiac's plan is, and he ends up, she ends up blowing his fucking head up, leaving the Justice League on their own to fight against the Omega Titans with um, the uh, test tube baby bastard of um, Brainiac. And um, like you said, sounds like everything's going up to plan, up to speed in this issue. And then we realize that, um, that, from my understanding, Cyborg plugs into the tree, and he tries to free base, and he over he ODs. From from what <laughs> yeah. I gather, yeah, they're uh, they were tasked with because uh, the the whole uh, mission is uh, balancing the the four attributes on Kalu so that uh, the Omega Titans can't just come and absorb it for you know the the dominant attribute. Yeah. So Kalu has been all about intelligence. So that tree is the strongest and the others were dead. So while the others are trying to revive those trees and strengthen them, uh, Cyborg is locking into the intelligence database of Kalu and sort of draining all that information out into himself and just being overloaded with it. Yeah. Um, which is, where is Starro? Is, which tree is he at? He's, he was at uh, Mystery? No, not Mystery. Uh, he, oh, maybe, it, yeah, I think, I think it was Mystery. Okay. I did not, I yeah, did he's, not he's see that coming. With, uh, with um, Martian Manhunter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Uh, <laughs> brutal uh, spoilers. Brutal end to Starro when uh, um, he tells Martian Manhunter to toss him basically onto the face of the Omega Titan as he begins to absorb the power and like and become bigger and bigger, and the Omega Titan just fucking rips him apart. Yeah, that was brutal. It, it, it looks like he's saving the day. Like you know, he's he's going to mind control yeah. this Omega Titan, and he's he's even talking shit while he's doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I've dominated minds of, you know, these billions of of living things, and you're nothing. Yeah. And then it just reaches up, grabs him with both hands, and tears him in half. Yeah. And, and then um, uh, the Omega Titan basically, like, fucking implodes the planets, right? After that. And it's, uh, from what we gather, is that the planet has exploded, and Amanda Waller and Green Arrow are seeing or hearing the fact that, like, They've lost communication with uh, each mem- each team uh, because they've fucked up and, and they haven't uh, you know succeeded in their mission. And then that kind of reveals the fact that right in that moment, and Ome- all the Omega is it all the Omega Titans or is it just one of them that show up to Earth? Uh, who has shown up? Uh, the, the other three. The other three. There's okay. the yeah the one the one is at Kalu having just. Uh, had that place for breakfast. Yeah. 
and the other three are now hovering over Earth. Yeah, so so basically, um, the Justice, well, the teams couldn't even fend off one Omega Titan, and now Ollie and Amanda Waller are having to face three of them. So uh, that's where things are kind of left off. And yeah, when I was re- while I was reading it, I was kind of like, oh my God, Scott, like I can't handle like more crazy fucking story like this anymore. But <laughs> at, again, as I'm reading it though, there's cool shit that like you're seeing, like Martian Manhunter, um, Starro, Sinestro, Brainiac Ship, um, Doctor Fate, all that. Like, it's just so much cool shit, and it's like it's so awesome that these characters are finally getting like to be highlighted um in the universe because the new 52 kind of just they didn't have time to, to explore them or it did and those those books didn't work but um yeah man like i really hope that this kind of spins the stuff out of no justice i hope we see more of um uh, dr fate because he was in metal a lot too wasn't he uh was dr fate uh trying to remember what his role was there now there's been so much going on he was i think he was in it he didn't have a huge role i mean he was pushed right out of my head he just looks fucking awesome so just seeing him in the book is awesome um i hope that we get like a a legit you know dr fate book at some point um we got the terrifics with mr terrific that was cool to see um what else is going on in this harley's doing her thing she's there that's cool i guess but uh Uh, my one of my favorite things about about this series is seeing these characters interacting with each other. Like in some of these cases you have heroes and villains on the same team together. So they're together for a long enough time where they're interacting and it's not just a fight, you know, they're, they're working together. So you see them interacting and speaking. And uh, so you're seeing uh, relationship dynamics that, that you don't see normally. Yeah. Um, and from what I'm, from what we hear, it's like you know the 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 things that happen out of No Justice will immediately influence the Justice League title as well as other aspects of the DC universe. So it's yet to be seen, you know, what characters and how they're gonna take what they what they kind of experience in this story and take on to their individual issues. But I dig it, man. Yeah, because we have Scott's uh, Justice League uh, is starting, and we will also have Justice League Odyssey and Justice League Dark. Damn, a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, there's gonna be a lot coming into the series. I'm about it. Um, we got one more issue of this, and then, uh, yeah. like you said, all that stuff's coming. Um, so that's a big thing that's happening right now. And then the other thing too that Scott's been telling us about for the longest time is uh, Flash War. And mm-hmm. um, he was talking about how when he was still working on Metal, uh, even before, man, I want to. He told us about Flash War a long time ago. Also, probably yeah. around the time that Rebirth started. And um, we weren't able to talk about it back then. Uh, that was right when we interviewed him the first time for, I think, his All-Star run. And he was telling us about how he'd been talking to um, Joshua Williamson and um, sharing ideas and stories and kind of helping to uh, set up f- the Flash books for eventually what would happen after Metal. And one of those things being a uh, Flash War. So we got the first issue of Flash War with Flash issue 47 this week. Um, and dude, you know what I have been neglecting to mention with, uh, I don't know if he's been on it the whole time for Rebirth, but Howard Porter's art for Flash, I really like it. Um, yeah, he, he does these really cool, uh, each of the Flashes sort of have 
their own looks, like they have defining characteristics to their looks, like to their suits and everything, but they still look cohesive. Yeah. As as they're all Flash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I also like that uh, leading up to Flash War, Joshua Williamson has been really like really really utilizing like old school Flash Rogues Gallery, um, Gorilla Grodd, uh, Mirror Master. Who else was uh, Captain Cold was in a couple of you know all the all the old school villains and rogues yeah. he had been kind of using up until Flash War and essentially what happens is in this issue uh, we see that um, what's uh, what's Barry's uh, girl's name um, Iris Iris so uh, in the events of the previous arc it sounds like Iris murders Eobard Thawne um, and in this issue. Um, Wally is experiencing uh, memories coming back to him. What do they call them? Temporal seizures, I believe it's called. Y- yes, I think that was it. So yeah. He's basically having uh, memory attacks. Yeah. And uh, from the Rebirth special, we learned that because of the New 52 and the events that happened with, we believe, uh, Dr. Manhattan kind of like erasing that universe and or messing it up fucking it up creating the new 52 and then it's overlapping with the original dc universe wally west was like forgotten um that this version of wally was forgotten and uh uh in the rebirth special we kind of see how he's uh or is it was it rebirth special or was it um now it was uh it was dc universe rebirth uh dc universe rebirth was that first issue where we were introduced to the events that like him trying to, to come through to everyone, you know, looking for someone that would remember him and allow him to to come through the fabric of time. Yeah. Uh, When he got to Bruce uh, approaching Bruce in the Batcave, that was what uh, spurred the events of the button. Duh button. That's right. Duh button. So, um, in this issue of the uh, yield flash, uh, we see that it's kind of like the ramifications of Iris killing Thawne. Um, the they're not called the Rogues. What are they called in this issue? But they're basically like the 25th century version of them that come back in time. Yeah, basically. Yeah, they're sort of like police. They're they're the law enforcement, and they use the the tech of the Rogues as yeah. tools to uh, to apprehend you know those associated with Flash. Which is why when they show up, oh, they're called the what are they called? Uh, the 25th Century Reverse Flash Task Force, aka the Renegades. Um, and because they're all dressed up like the Rogues, it freaks out Flash and uh, Wally, Wally West, and Kid Flash. Um, so yeah, they, that's the the one problem with their strategy of using this stuff is yeah. that you know they show up looking like Flash enemies. Yeah. Um, they show up and they announce the fact that they're there for Iris West. They're not there for the Flash. Uh, they're there to arrest her for the murder of Ebarthon. And um, in so many ways, they mention that you know he was uh, a, in a position of power in the future, and uh, his death is considered a, a murder. So they want to take her back to the future to put her on trial, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, Wally, instead of wanting to stick around and figure out what's going on, he decides to take her and run which um, shows kind of infighting with him and Barry. But eventually, they all decide it's for the best to just all go back and see what they can do about this. And that's when they go back, but they notice that when they all get back to the 25th century, 
uh, Wally West does not go back with them. They're all there in the future, but he's not. And um, it shows him kind of uh, reappearing in a... I don't even... Do they even talk about the time zone, timeline where, where he ends up? It just sounds like he's stuck somewhere. Um, uh, but it's sort of... It, I think it was on purpose because uh, once they arrive and notice that he's not there, uh, the... I don't know, the Captain Cold equivalent, the guy who's sort of uh, leading everything, uh, says that there's a corrupted file within the time portal, and it targeted Wally's Speed Force signature. Mm. So he was uh, he was intentionally plucked out of there and brought to this other time. Yeah, and then, at, um, spoilers at the very end, it's announced that uh, you see uh, the guy who's kind of caused it is, my name is Hunter Zolomon but you can call me Zoom, and together we are going to save your children. And right behind him are these, uh, like, kind of like, um, uh, what do you call them? Um, like, tributes to Jai West and Iris West the second. Um, yeah, like like how uh, Bruce, Batman in the Batcave has, you know, has Jason Todd's suit, you know, in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's essentially saying that in, the, in this... In this timeline, uh, Wally has children who are speedsters, well, I'm assuming, who are speedsters and have fallen for some reason um, prematurely. So um, that's what's going on there. Another thing that we skipped over that's really freaking awesome is the Golden Guardian member of the task force is a a yellow lantern. Yeah. That was fucking sick. And she has her own oath, uh, like a a spin on... Sinestro oath. Yeah, yeah, so and her very... her constructs look like a uh, yellow reverse Flash yeah. when she's fighting a uh, Flash. So that was fucking awesome to see. So um, if anything, that's really cool to see. This is Task Force and the the things that they're doing. Um, this issue is pretty much a setup issue. It's like setting up what's going to be going down in Flash War. Um, I mean, Flash. Is... If if you if you didn't read Flash Annual number one. That was a prelude to this, so uh, if you feel like you're missing information reading this issue, uh, definitely go back and check out Flash Annual number yeah. one. There's enough stuff in the issue, though. I mean, they do a pretty good job of peppering and info, and even though things might be a little ambiguous, I think that uh, the story flows in itself in a way. Everyone knows who the Flash is. Most people know who Wally West is. Um, you might not be too familiar with this kid, Flash, because he's... Uh, um, pretty much new new 52 kid flash but anyways great cool story looked really awesome um makes me want to read more of flash war joshua williamson obviously is also writing part of no justice with uh scott and james tanyan so it's uh, naturally you know uh you'll be yeah i like the way he writes too though you can tell that snyder's got a lot of influence over the no justice stuff um but williamson's writing is um it just feels like real, like I think I said this the last time we were covering some of the Flash stuff, but it feels just like really classic comic book Flash writing, which I really, really like. Um, and this felt very classic superhero comic book also. Like there was this crazy reveal at the end. Um, you're getting to see some badass like rogues using some badass uh, tech and, uh, you know, abilities. The fucking costumes look great. The art is fantastic. So, um a great reason to start reading Flash and picking it up. So, and I don't think they've announced anything like Williamson coming off of Flash, have they? Uh, no, I I don't recall. Yeah. 
So this dude's been hitting it hard since Rebirth began, um, which is very cool. So obviously, I think this is probably one of the better-selling books, and uh, they're going to keep letting him do his thing from the looks of it. So um, I really would like to see Howard Porter on other books too, though, man. Like, oh, who does? Did he do the cover too? Who did the cover of this issue? The cover was badass. Um, if I can see it real quick in the... I'm going to say that he did the cover, and the cover looks fucking awesome. So, props to him. Yeah, with, yeah, Porter and Hi-Fi did the cover. Yeah, very, very cool. Oh, but that uh, that Matina variant is going to be... I, I don't remember if I saw this one or not yet, but uh, that Matina variant is going to be so good. I didn't see it in the... Um in the uh, digital file, but what is it? What does it look like? Oh, it's uh, just I, the reverse. It's, yeah, it's Zoom, right? Uh, no, that was uh, last the week? previous issue. Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm not even sure what this one is, but uh, it just says in the credits that it's uh, another Matina variant. But I don't recall if I've seen it yet. But he's just been killing them, and now that DC is doing uh, these sort of almost virgin covers yeah. for the variants. They just look so good. I, I, it's, so, it's such a great idea to do it that way too, like just to kind of highlight the art yep. and not put yeah. anything around it to kind of hinder it. Very, very cool. Um, let's see what else came out this week. I know that we were really heavy with uh, the interview with Brian. We were talking very much about uh, the detective, detective comics, but Suicide Squad also came out. Um, new issue of Suicide Squad. I want to say it's issue number 42. Um, so uh, whoever's been reading that, new issue out for that. Um, another Mother Panic came out, um, Mother, Mother Panic Gotham AD, uh, I haven't been reading that, but I want to get into it, Wonder Woman came out, Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns, um, I have been really digging, uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, because, uh, I read, uh, the last couple of arcs, because, uh, uh, Zod was in them, and, uh, I really enjoyed the art and, the uh, the writing of, uh, this series, um, Robert Venditti, has been killing it. I think like everything I've read of his has been awesome. He did a couple of books for um, Valiant. Um, oh, what did Vindy write with Valiant? I can't remember if it was like um, I don't think it was Shadow Man. It might have been um, Bloodshot before what's his name started writing it. Or well, uh, J- Jeff has been doing. Jeff Lemire has been doing Bloodshot since this whole uh, sort of rebirth of Valiant stuff. Yeah. So it was, uh, was it maybe Exo, maybe Exo Manowar. That's it. Yeah, I think he's been doing Exo Manowar, and he was killing it on that. I think, um, but this cover for f- oh, just because you were talking about Valiant, I've, uh, if if you haven't read a single issue of Bloodshot, you you want to just maybe give it a chance. Uh, the issue before the current issue, uh, so. It continues off from the issue prior to it, where and uh, Bloodshot had been uh, blinded. You know, like he had been so badly damaged that uh, he, his eyes stopped functioning. Now, Bloodshot is full of nanites. You know, that sort of. Uh, you know, that's that's yeah. what he is. You know, they make him what he is, and when he gets damaged, they heal him, etc. But uh, he gets blinded. So this issue, when you open it up to the first page. It is just blackness. Every page, it's just page after page and panel after panel of blackness. Uh, but you have speech bubbles, you know, and he's, it's, Bloodshot is talking about, you know, like what he 
thinks is happening, sort of, but he can't see anything. And then bit by bit throughout the issue, you start to see, as the nanites repair him, you start to see his vision coming back. You know, like they're trying, like, oh, they test this. No, it's nope, still not working yet. And it's just, it just goes back to blackness uh, until right at the very end when they finally fix his vision and, and then you finally see what, what he's been uh, doing the whole time. It's just a really clever uh, way of, of telling that story. Nice. Yeah, Lemire kills it, man. Um, he's a great writer as well. Um, so the how Jordan Green Lanterns... Um, what's awesome is that there's also some classic characters. Zod is also in this one. John Stewart's in this one. Orion is in it. Um, so it's just... Like, it's it's a really really cool uh, series. That's if you like Hal Jordan, you like the Green Lanterns, you're gonna love that book. Um, new issue of Wonder Woman, new issue of Batgirl, new issue of Terrifics is out. Um, yeah, so I mean that's pretty much uh, what we got going on with the stack this week. Um, a lot of good books, man. <laughs> I've been trying to uh, jump on some more Marvel books, but again, the only thing I'm probably pulling is the Jason Aaron and the Charles Soule stuff. Everything else is still such a mess, but DC is killing uh, it. I, I've been I've been hearing really good things about the new Donny Cates uh, Venom title. Ah, yeah, the one that just launched. Yeah, so if you're uh, if you're Venom inclined, then you might want to check that out. Is that a weekly now, or is it bi-weekly? I want to say there's already two issues out, and it only started like this month. Two it already. Uh, I don't recall if I've seen an issue two in the shop yet. Mm, we'll see. But maybe maybe, maybe I maybe I just uh, you know ignored it. Anyways, uh, but, that's uh, pretty uh, much Don, it. Don, uh, Donny Cates may be the next big thing. So uh, oh, nice. well, watch out for him. He was writing a a series. I think he was writing Baby Teeth. Uh. And uh, uh, yeah, it's this uh, uh, this new book's getting a lot of attention. So watch out for him. Very nice. Um, you got anything else, Robin? I think that covers it. Yeah, the, we've had some pretty sweet episodes of the stack with uh, some pretty sweet writers hopping on. So uh, you know, we got some more coming down the line. Um, we had uh, we had the uh, the Sean Murphy. So if you obviously if you have not listened to that, I'm gonna slap you in the face with your phone because go back and listen to our two part Sean Murphy interview. Um, thank you for listening to the uh, Brian Edward Hill interview. And like we mentioned, if you like the Murphy stuff, uh, any of the other stuff we've done, we got some more names coming our way, um, pretty much confirmed. So we're just a matter of sitting down and recording them um, over the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's going to be a pretty monstrous couple of weeks for us. So uh, stay tuned in. Do you have a question that you have to ask, Robin? Yeah. Why is it that we can get... Brian Hill to take time out of his schedule, working on Titans, writing Detective Comics. He can come here and and be, you know, sit in Commissioner Gordon's office with us and and, and talk with us for close to two hours. But we're still left wondering where the fuck is the Trunkler? God damn it! Yeah, ain't that the truth? Where the fuck is the Trunkler? Um. I don't know, probably just eating another plate of blood sausage, I'm assuming. You know, or, or just having a slice of the old cheese soup, as uh, our friends Sean Murphy like to say. Or what did, what did Brian call it? Uh, cake. 
cake <laughs> with cheese it, on yeah, top. Yeah, he called it cake, cake with sausage in it the or something. Ultimate disrespect yeah. <laughs> to the city of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. But uh, anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we're going to come back next week with another episode of Backwards Radio. Have a good night, yeah, everybody. Yeah, we will.